You're listening to Feral Attraction, hosted by Metrico and Vero the Science Collie. On this week's show, we open with a discussion on why open marriages and polyamory may not be for everyone. Our main topic is on pack houses. What are they? How are they structured? And how can you make yours more successful? We close the show with a question on BDSM anxiety and another question on long-distance polyamory. Hello again and welcome to Feral Attraction. I'm Metrico. And I'm Vero the Science Collie. So, Vero, you came from uh, MFS. <laughs> That's very Midwest difficult. Midwest Furfest. Mid- Midwest Fifth. Um, I sound like Baba Walters there uh, from Midwest Furfest. Um, and we'll have more on that, I guess, at the end of the show. Yeah, we'll talk about that in the feedback section. It's more appropriate, I think. Yeah, I did get probably. some good feedback, though. So we'll talk oh. about that then. Awesome. So, hey, guys, stick around for the feedback if you want to hear about MFF. Um, you know, we wanted to talk, you know, at the top of the show, you know, a lot of people – you know, especially after a monogamy episode, they're, you know, questioning us. They're like, hey, guys, we thought that you were, you know, the show on polyamory and polyamory resources and non-monogamous relationships. And, you know, why would you talk about, you know, things other than, you know, poly? And the reason for that is, you know, open marriages, open relationships, polyamory, they don't actually work for everybody. Right. And I think one of the funny things about actually some of the criticism we do get is that, uh, the polyamorists think that we are, you know, against polyamory, and the monogamists think that we're against monogamy or close relationships. So I think that, as they, you know, t- tell people who are becoming new professors, if half the class thinks you're, you know, too hard and half the class thinks you're too easy or, or whatever, that's uh, that means you're probably doing something right. But uh, <laughs> but uh, at any rate, uh, this is actually an interesting uh, YouTube video that we're going to link to, talking about why polyamory sadly can't be for everyone. And speaking as a polyamorist, I think it's actually a good, important video to, to keep in mind because it kind of talks about why, you know, polyamory certainly isn't necessarily a more enlightened or better way of doing things because there are downsides and there are negatives to it. And there, I mean, there are things that, you know, if you're a very good polyamorist, you're probably going to be very good at being a monogamist as well. It certainly trains you to do a lot of useful interpersonal relationship skills and to be kind of master communication and emotional intelligence. And so there are a lot of things that are good about polyamory and polyamorous relationships can work really well for a lot of people. But for people who are really averse to drama, for people who don't like communicating very much, for people who have trouble uh, talking about, you know, difficult conversations or talking about things that are other anything other than sunshine and rainbows, uh, polyamory might not be a great fit for you because essentially polyamory does have a tendency to increase the level of drama and interpersonal conflict you're going to have to worry about resolving. So there's just by definition with polyamory, you're going to have more conflict resolution, and more of those types of conversations if you're a polyamorist. Uh, For some people, that's going to be okay. It might not be your favorite thing about it, but it's something you can tolerate. And for some people, that by itself is going to be a deal breaker. Before you even get into issues of things like envy and jealousy, which is what everybody wants to talk about when they're talking about polyamory and the downsides, before we even get into that, there's a very practical matter of can you handle the conflict resolution? Is that something that's just going to bug the shit out of you? Because if that's the case polyamory probably isn't for you. Um, there are other things, too, that are just practical matters. You know, if you have a job that you're working 60 hours a week, you might just not have time for polyamory because, frankly, 
every partner you take on is going to require some of your time. You can't just put people on the back burner forever. That might work if you have a partner who lives in Sweden and just wants to send you a love letter every three months. Maybe that would work for you. Maybe that type of polyamory. But if you want something more than a pen pal, you actually need to put time into these people, whether that's time spent online talking, playing games, whether that's going on dates, whether that's even making time for sex. Um, you need to be able to put time into multiple people. And you can't just put time into the new partner while neglecting your old partner. You need to put time into all of your partners, not necessarily at the same time, unless you have four dicks, in which case, please send me a video. But, um, you know, if frankly, you just need time for each individual partner at some point. So again, if you have time limitations, polyamory may not be for you. Uh, if you are someone for whom possessiveness and jealousy and envy are a major deal, and you don't feel like doing the work to overcome those, or you just can't ever cope with them, There's, an, it just feels too bad for you, then yeah, polyamory isn't going to be for you. And that's a valid choice to make. If you just don't want to ever have to deal with or think about who's my mate with tonight and whose dick's going inside of my husband, if that's not a thought that you can handle, um, polyamory probably isn't for you. Uh, and, you know, you, a lot of people can overcome those things. I'm not saying that you have to never experience poly, uh, jealousy and envy. I'm going to say that right now because that, that could be taken the wrong way. I'm someone, for example, who does have a very strong jealous and possessive streak. It's, it is very strong for me, but I'm able to reason my way out of that uh, for most of the cases. And also, uh, this is another thing that helps me in that case is I'm a dom. So in some cases, my subs do want to be devoted primarily to me. And so there is an inequality there that is voluntary. And obviously, that also works in the context of being possessive and jealous is if you have a sub who actually wants that treatment, it's kind of a win-win. But again, poly if you're someone who is a sub in that situation, it's a lot harder to have four doms. It's way easier to be a dom and have four subs. But if you're a sub who thinks you can have four doms, again, polyamory might not be for you because that tends not to work very well in a DS context. You can't have two masters, much less four, right? That's the old, the, the old saw, right? So yeah. polyamory is not going to be for everyone. If you are in certain DS context, it's going to be difficult to be poly. If you can't handle jealousy or envy or FOMO, difficult to be poly. If you can't handle processing drama, it's going to be difficult to be poly. If you don't have time, or if you're bad at time management, or you're bad at managing the emotions of multiple people, you're bad at you know not neglecting a primary partner while going out and seeing new partners. If any of those things are things that are just absolute deal breakers that you cannot get past, or aren't willing to do the self-reflection and self-work to get yourself past those issues, polyamory may not be for you. And that doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you're a person for whom monogamy might be a better fit, or celibacy even, if, in some cases. And those are valid choices as well. You don't have to be polyamorous. You don't have to be monogamous. You don't have to be celibate. You can be whatever you like, but make sure you're doing it consciously, being mindful, and considering all the upsides of all the various relationship structures you have available to you, but also considering the downsides. Because yes, there are downsides to every relationship structure you might pick. There is no perfect relationship structure. Everything has pros and cons. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the YouTube video is definitely worth a view. It's about six minutes, seven minutes long. It's nice. It's animated. And, you know, the narrator has maybe even a nicer voice than I do. So, which isn't saying much. <laughs> <laughs> well, people really do seem to enjoy your voice based on the comments we get in the in the chat. So, yeah, I don't know if their comments are dick pigs. Um, <laughs> uh, love you guys. Um, no, it's more... Um, you know, a lot of people will try to, you know, assume that 
just because they trade polyamory and it doesn't work that they're a bad person or monogamy and it doesn't work. They're a bad person. You know, your relationship structure shouldn't define who you are as an individual. It should only really define, you know, how you have relationships. So, you know, don't really focus too much on trying to find your self-worth through how many, you know, people you date. Um, some relationship structures work better for other people. So, you know, just bear that in mind and, you know, approach it from, you know, an attitude of self-reflection, perhaps, whenever you consider these things. The YouTube video is a great way to, you know, get a self-reflection, we'll say, session started. So, um, again, that's in our show notes, um, and we'll probably put it um, in the actual notes for the podcast as well, just for all of you who listen on, you know, whatever service you do, iTunes, Google Play, that way you can link to it directly through the podcast itself. But Otherwise, the name of the video, if you just want to search for it too, is Why Polyamory Sadly Can't Be for Everyone. So we're going to move on to our main topic, though. And this is actually a question that we've gotten enough to kind of necessitate a full show on, because I think after the fifth or sixth question we got, we're just like, okay, yeah, it's rather than address each question, we're just going to do a show, and that way we can address all the questions, and hopefully this works. Um, we've got a lot of questions we've discussed in the past, um, and we've had a question or two about pack houses, and, you know, how can you find one, what are they, all that good stuff. So we're devoting an entire show to pack houses, pack house dynamics, pack house creation, all that good stuff. And, you know, really to kind of kick it off what a pack house is, um, when we, you know, refer to that, it's really just furry parlance. It's furry nonsense, furry garbage talk for a group home, for communal, for a communal house, for a polyamorous group. Um, and it's, it's, you know, just where people that are in the relationship, uh, cohabitate and, they tend to be in some form of an intertwined relationship with one another. Right. Um, I'm not sure if there's a certain size that makes a pack house a pack house, but I, I think a good place to start is an N of three when, when you mm -hmm. have we have a pack. So technically speaking, I do currently have a pack house because I live in my Seattle apartment with my uh, husband, Fox Koji, our audio engineer, and also my pet Roo, Marcus. So that indeed makes me the proud owner of a pack house, which is why it's now appropriate for me to be talking about this uh, on the show, because now I can speak from a place of authority, right? Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> I've lived in them before. I've I mean, been a little tongue-in-cheek there, obviously, but yes. <laughs> Not the cheek you want. <clears throat> a. Um, you know, it's it's for a lot of poly individuals living in a group home, living in a communal house, you know, that, that tends to be, for them, the pinnacle of polyamory. It's not just you're in an apartment and you go and you visit your one partner and then the other partner and you all go on dates and they come over for weekends and then they go home. This is, for a lot of people, the pinnacle where it all starts to come together and click. And a lot of people kind of, you know get a little bit hung up on the idea, especially within the fandom of how can you find a pack house for yourself? How can you, you know, go about living in one? Well, the thing is, is that, you know, a lot of furries, you know, as any community, uh, we do tend to gravitate towards one another when it comes to, you know, finding apartments together. So, you know, a pack house doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, a physical relationship or even a sexual relationship or even a romantic relationship. It, it just really 
tends to consist of deep entwinement. Um, you know, when it comes to the topic of this show, if you're just kind of having roommates, that's not really a pack house though. you can refer to it as a pack house and that's fun. And like, this is where my squad lives, but we're going to talk about the romantic kind, the one that has, you know, deep entanglements and entwinement, deep connections on a romantic level for, you know, cohabitation. Right. And I think just on that note, it's important to point out that uh, all the people who live in a pack house need not necessarily be connected to all of the other people. So what I mean by that is, uh, for example, even my own tiny little pack house here, I can give you an example of that. So Marcus and Koji and I all live here. I'm obviously romantically invested in Koji because he is my husband. And then uh, Marcus and I have a DS arrangement because I'm his master and he's my pet. Uh, Marcus and I have a sexual relationship. Koji and I have a sexual relationship. Koji and Marcus have a sexual relationship with me in certain circumstances, but Koji and Marcus do not have a romantic connection. Koji and Marcus do not have a DS connection. So as you can see, just from my own very small example, mm -hmm. uh, DS can be part, can be part of it. It can be, it can extend to everyone or just a few people. Uh, it can be romance, romance can be involved, but that doesn't necessarily extend to everyone or every relationship. Uh, sex may be more widespread than romance or vice versa. Maybe everybody's having sex with everybody. Maybe there's some people who only have sex with each other, but they're romantically involved and everybody else. Like you really honestly have no freaking clue what the structure or dynamic of a pack is without asking. So this is one of those mm -hmm. cases like we talk about in my panel, which is fresh in my mind because I just gave it at MFF. But this is one of those places where what does that mean for you is one of those really important questions to ask. So when somebody says, oh, yeah, I live in a pack house, you have to, like, get out the chalkboard and start diagramming to figure out what the hell's going on, frankly. <laughs> so yeah. that's basically how it works. Like, I mean, the way that I try to explain, you know, especially when people are like, well, I live with other furries. I'm in a pack house. It's, it's I try to compare it to like a Venn diagram almost, you know, it's, it's a pack house that is for, you know, cohabitation for a polyamorous group tends to have more, you know, if it's a Venn diagram, they tend to have more connections. There are more things that bind them together in commonality. I mean, I've lived with other furries and we didn't have sex. So that's one thing that's out the window. We didn't have a romantic connection out the window, that sort of thing. So, you know. For a lot of furries, you know, a pack house is one that a polyamorous group, they can cohabitate without judgment from other roommates or request to keep the noise down. And that's really true for a lot of other poly people. You know, if, if you're polyamorous and you live with roommates that, you know, are friends, they might have questions about your relationship. Like yesterday, your boyfriend came over and then today you have a girl and what what's going on there? You know, pack houses are great ways where if you're able to support yourselves, you can avoid a lot of those maybe unnecessarily probing, you know, sensitive questions that you may not want to answer or feel that you need to answer. You can be as loud as you want when you're making love without having to worry about disturbing other roommates. And there is, you know, a sense of security that comes with living in a group that, you know, you love deeply and they love you deeply. And you can always know that you're coming home and they're going to be there for you. So it can be really nice in that regard. Well, I think you're forgetting one of the most liberating and I say iconic characteristics of furry pack houses. And that is, of course, furry porn on the walls and dildos, dildos everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not if, if you don't have a bad dragon as your mantelpiece, then you're not doing furry, right? 
Yep, extra large chance. It belongs there instead of the shotgun, right? Oh, hey, you're looking for a chair? Well, I got one right here. <laughs> Sit and spin, bitch. Um, <laughs> seriously, some of them I think you could use as, like, bar stools. Um, Indeed. <laughs> Horsecock parcels would total that should totally be a furry we you know, honestly the feral attraction uh imprimatur needs to get onto that. We need to start merchandising. I think horsecock bar stools that number one, that would be a great fur cast title. Uh shout out to Paradox if you're listening. But um <laughs> yeah, seriously, horsecock bar stools need to do that. That would be awesome. Um <laughs> I'll get right on that. I'll get the R and D team um looking into it for you. Um but, you know, other packhouses do exist, um, and for the sake of the show, we'll define what other people might use packhouse for, but we're not going to really be discussing them. Some people that are lifestylers, are Therian, you know, are, are two-spirit in some way, they might live in a packhouse in order to explore these interests or these these facets of spirituality in a way that is safe for them, in a way that they can be open about themselves without having to be too vulnerable to other people. You know, those are other forms of pack houses. We're not going to be discussing them too much because it doesn't really kind of fit in with the questions that we got. We, we didn't really receive a lot of questions like, how can I find a space in which I can explore, you know, Therianism? Like, we're not going to discuss that or other kind of this. This is strictly this topic in terms of definition. Pack houses are groups, are, are Houses, apartments, where polyamorous groups can cohabitate. And we're going to go from there. So Vero kind of, you know, almost tried to bury the lead there. But pack houses are structured in, you know, a few different ways. And, you know, he gave a good example about his. Um, You have egalitarian, you know, pack houses where everybody is on the same level of agency. There's, you know... No level of inequality, whether that's due to social biases, gender, that sort of thing. Um, a lot of t- the time, there can be cases where you can be in a polyamorous relationship. And let's be honest, there are some men who think that maybe the women should do all the cleaning. And so that can be a little bit of a less egalitarian living situation. There are some uh, structures that do exist that do kind of have the man as the head of the household and the woman you know, ladies do all the cleaning or, you know, in gay relationships, the dom is the breadwinner and the sub is kind of the houseboy. Um, you know, it's how my relationship works, but yes, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I'm not saying that those are necessarily bad, especially if they've been pre-negotiated, if they've, you know, if there's been some level of discussion about them and everybody's on the same page, but that's it, the key, right? Is it's the pre-negotiation. Exactly. Egalitarian doesn't mean correct. If, if egalitarian meant correct, then really there wouldn't be that much divorce, especially among, you know, heterosexual relationships. And even and even in egalitarian relationships, you can still have division of labor. Like, for example, in my relationship with Koji, we used to have a DS dynamic, but we did away with that at one point. And our relationship is officially egalitarian, but we still have a, a strong division of labor. Mm-hmm. We re- retained certain things from our DS that worked very well. I still manage our finances, for example, because I'm just good at it and Koji hates it and I enjoy it. So I I take care of that. Uh, we also retain things like Koji does more of the house chores. He does things like, uh, you know, dishes and laundry and cleaning the, uh, the, the, the bathroom. And, you know, that's his shtick. And I do things like ma- managing the budget, paying bills, uh, doing the taxes, uh, planning travel, 
doing all of the secretarial and kind of time management work that for Koji and, and then kind of running his life in terms of being, he calls me his personal data colleague because I tell him where he needs to be and things like that. So mm. there's a division of labor uh, where I do the things that I'm best at and that I enjoy, and he does things that he's best at and that he enjoys, and that works for us. But that doesn't really mean that we have a DS relationship. It just means that we pre-negotiated who's doing what. So you can have things that look kind of like DS without there actually being a true DS present, just because things can be divided. So don't assume, mm-hmm. oh, wow, Koji's always doing housework. He must be a slave. Well, no, we just negotiated that that's his responsibility. So right. there you go. Yeah, it's it's a lot of people, you know, when they assume egalitarian, they kind of think like it's the perfect utopia where if I do the dishes tonight, you'll do the dishes tomorrow and we'll just trade off like that for eternity till death do us part. You know, that doesn't always work like that. You know, it's it's an egalitarian relationship is one where you play to your strengths. It could be yet again, you're really good at doing home repair, but your partner isn't. But they're really good at like if you pop a button on your shirt, they're really good at sewing and textile work. So maybe that's what they focus on. And that way there's no like, Oh, well your you know, winter coat lost a button. It's your turn to sew it back on dear, you know, just because you want to have an equal and fair relationship doesn't mean that everything needs to be equal and fair. You know, it's, it's, it's good to trade off on responsibilities that neither of you really enjoy, but both of you can do adequately. Maybe you both hate cutting the grass, you know, mowing the lawn, but you know, Hey, I'll do it this week. If you do it next week and we'll go from there. And, you know, let's say that your partner gets sick. That doesn't mean that, Oh, well, it looks like you're doing it two weeks in a row. Like you should really keep a spreadsheet of the chores of the responsibilities that you have in order to make sure that there is a fair distribution of labor. You're in a marriage, which is communal, but it isn't communist. So don't worry too much about quotas in your relationship. If you want to be in an egalitarian relationship, it doesn't yep, really work Keeping like track that. is not going to be a good rewarding thing for you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, it's, 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 I've seen a lot of the time where relationships, you know, white partner isn't pulling their part of the labor. You know, what, 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 like part of the, what do you mean by that? Well, look at this Excel sheet. Whoa. That's a little bit out of control there, friend. Um, You know, as long as both of you feel that you are fairly contributing to the relationship, then that's fine. Again, it's not always going to be equal. We've spoken about that in the past, and it shouldn't be equal. But as long as both of you are fully invested and investing as much as you feel appropriate, and both of you need to feel that level of appropriateness, it's not just... You enter the relationship and like, well, my level of commitment is that sometimes I'll let you suck my duck. You do the rest. Bye. Um, it doesn't really work like that. So just, you know, be mindful of that. Egalitarian pack houses, they tend to work really well um, because of the fact that everybody kind of pulls their own weight. And, you know, when you live in a house, when you live in an apartment, you know, the more people that cohabitate, the more mess there is, the more clutter there is and the more that there is to do you might think that with more people there's less work but it's it's the complete opposite you know there's more laundry and like god damn laundry just it's annoying it's the worst <laughs> and i mean it's enough for me just one person but imagine living in a house with four people with five people there's just laundry for days Maybe, you know, everybody does their own laundry and that's great, but sometimes the schedule doesn't work out. Maybe you have one person that's like, 
I'll just keep rotating laundry and, you know, as long as I know it's yours, I'll kind of fold it and put it in your room. You know, there are ways that it goes about, you know, making sense. Maybe one person if, hey, you know, I'm good at doing laundry and I don't mind doing that, but I don't really like doing dishes. Can somebody do the dishes? You know, you can base labor off of that. It doesn't need to be like you're a kid and it's like, okay, well, your sister this week is doing laundry and you're doing the dishes and next week you rotate. Maybe that works for some people. Maybe it doesn't. You don't have to, you know, stress around like that. But it also has to do, you know, in an egalitarian, you know, pack house, the level of attention that you can get is going to be on a different level than if you were in, you know, another structure because you do have equal say. You do have the ability to openly veto things. You do have the ability to openly speak your mind. If you want to do something, you can propose it. And maybe if you were in a power dynamic relationship, you wouldn't be able to do that. If you wanted to go off by yourself for the weekend, maybe if you were in a power dynamic pack house, that wouldn't always be a case. You know, you have the same level of agency that everybody else does. You are on equal footing with everybody else. And so you have an equal say along with everybody else. They're very democratic, egalitarian pack houses. A lot of the time in those, uh, in that I, uh, my, my pack house was egalitarian and, if we had disputes, we would be able to resolve them with a vote. If we had, you know, a disagreement on what we were going to do for, you know, oh, hey, we all have a day off. What do you want to do? Oh, well, some of us want to go to a park. Some of us want to stay in. Some of us want to have a party. Okay, well, we'll put it to a vote. We'll figure out a way, you know, is there something that, you know, does nobody, anybody want to veto anything? Like, is going to a park going to be the end of your world? No. Okay. So we'll just kind of put it to a vote. We'll put, you know, draw straws. We'll, you know, put everything into a hat and draw one, you know, that sort of thing. They can be very democratic and everybody feels that they had an equal say. You know, it's, it's the other main type is going to be that power dynamic that we, we, you know, mention all the time. Um, and that typically does center around a head figure or in, I guess, the case of a pack, you know, an alpha. Yes, for us, uh, you know, really classy fur fags, uh, especially of the canid variety. I, being a collie wolf, uh, do consider myself to be a pack alpha because wolves are cool. But um, yeah, so this is my style of polyamory for the most part. I have, in my experience with pack houses, always been in a DS context with at least some of the partners who are involved Uh Sometimes that's just in the bedroom, and sometimes it's a 24-7 thing. Uh, in pack houses, it tends to be a lot more lifestyling DS than I see in other contexts. I feel like it's very common in pack houses for there to be lifestyling DS happening. And by lifestyling, I mean you don't just submit to the person when you're having sex and your clothes are off. You submit to them all the time. So if I tell somebody, hey, you, go do this, it's not a matter of they're, you know asking them to do it. It's a matter of I'm telling them to do something, right? Right. Uh, so that is... The, that type of DS that we're talking about, often master pet uh, relationships or uh, alpha dog, uh, beta pup, or you know omega alpha omega type relationships. If you're in the kind of more canid or pup play scene, uh, master slave. If you come from the leather community, is also in this vein. So there are a lot of different things you can call it. Um, daddy boy is also very common. Uh, I don't really hear those labels as often in the fandom, but th- those types of relationships definitely do exist in the fandom where it's, there's also a bit of an age difference involved. So there's an older fur, like maybe someone like that. I actually kind of do this type of style quite often where like I'm 
a bit older and further along in my career, but a lot of the submissives who I uh, play with and take in are tend to be younger and tend, tend to be able to learn kind of the ropes from me in that sense. So I enjoy that dynamic. So that's a way to structure it as well. And some of those relationships might be more temporary. There is often uh, common for someone to take in a boy, kind of train them up and then hand them off to another dom once they are, you know, kind of good to go. Some of those relationships will continue to progress and will go on, might even become romantic. Some of those relationships reach their natural conclusion when the boy is trained up and they go. So again, with pack houses and power dynamics, there isn't always a sense of permanence either. Sometimes those relationships can be sort of predetermined to be temporary or having the potential of being temporary. Yep. Right. And like pack houses that tend to revolve around you training up other people, um, sometimes they refer to as like kennels or you know, uh, things of that nature, because they want to be a little bit cutesy with the terminology. Uh, if you're a trainer or a handler where the relationships are not meant to be permanent. Um, so it's uh power dynamics. They do tend within the fandom to be a little bit more of the more popular types of, of pack houses. Um, I would say, you know, uh, about three out of every four. And, you know, for a lot of the people that get into them, um, it tends to be also their first foray into a dom sub, into a master pet, that sort of arrangement. Um, so if you are in that and you're not, you know, it's your first, we would highly recommend that you do, you know, take time to read Power Circuits by Raven Caldera. Um, awesome, awesome book. It's, it gets into great dynamics about polyamory, it gets into great dynamics about DS. Uh, it really helps explain uh, the psychology of both uh, the dom and the submissive. It talks to doms and submissives who are involved in those types of relationships. It talks about how subs can uh, have what the emotions of the sub might be in that relationship, where they'll have a lot of envy and jealousy towards other subs and feel like they're competing for their uh, dom's attention. It talks about how doms can manage the interests of multiple people and how you can how you know power exchange really does work in that context. Uh, one thing that I will definitely point out about power circuits, though, is that if you buy it for Kindle, it's four dollars. So, like, even if you're just like sort of kind of curious about this, it's a totally like incredibly good read. It's one of my the best books on polyamory in general. Even if you don't do uh, the power exchange, just because Raven Caldera is a really lucid writer and he works a lot by example, which I think is super good. So, I totally recommend this book. It's a huge resource for me that I turn to actually often. So, for sure. And one of the, we'll call it holiday gifts, that I'll be doing for the Feral Attraction community is a giveaway of the Kindle version of this book. Um, there will be a link posted to the giveaway. Um, it's a raffle. You'll have to sign up for the raffle. And it's, I just will need some information like, you know, whatever name, whatever email, that sort of thing. And the winner will be notified by email. So you'll be getting the fun Kindle edition directly from me and my love for you. Um... And also my wallet. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's 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 a definitely a very good read. And there's, you know, with it being four dollars, come on, it's 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 a great great read. So, you know, definitely if you're in a power dynamic kind of environment at kind of a pack house, you know, it's it's important that you understand fully what that means for you. So. You know, we've had plenty of podcasts, plenty of advice columns on the topic, but if you have other questions that aren't addressed by those, that aren't addressed by power circuits, then, you know, ask us those questions. Yeah, so the other thing that I'm just going to point out to a little bit more about uh, some particular insight into 
kind of how power exchange can work in a pack house. One thing I think is really important is that uh, the DOM needs to remember that they are not just responsible for their own well-being and benefiting themselves, even if that's theoretically uh, maybe what subs say they want. That's not really the nature of the relationship, right? That's kind of maybe a kinky fantasy, but it's really actually a very, uh, the, the Dom has a responsibility to the sub, right? With great power comes great responsibility if you go all Spider-Man about it. But if you are the Dom and you have a sub who submits to you and looks to you to manage the finances, to kind of keep things running smoothly, to make sure the pack house dynamic is good, the drama is kept to a minimum, that people's emotional well-being is being looked after... If your subs are looking to you for those things, you need to be providing them. That means that you have to be responsible with money and not taking advantage of the submissives. It means you need to make sure that everyone is cared for and that everyone's needs are being being met. And that if somebody's needs are not being met on a consistent basis, that that is being addressed and something's going to change. When you are the dom, you are responsible not just for your own happiness, but you are responsible for the happiness of everyone who submits to you. So you need, and they are still responsible for their own happiness as well. They still have agency and they can always, of course, choose to leave because you should never be in a relationship that's not consensual. They still have their agency to leave and they can they can withdraw from that dynamic at any point. But while they are within that dynamic, you are responsible for their happiness to the extent that you've negotiated. So that is very important to remember. Do not be a selfish dom. Doms need to be some of the most selfless people. It sounds kind of like a contradiction. But if you are want to be a good dom and you want to handle having a pack house well, you need to be quite selfless. You need to keep your ego in check, and you need to make sure that you're looking after the needs of other people, uh, not to the exclusion of your own, but certainly in addition to your own. That being said, when making decisions for the pack house, it should you cannot become a despot, even if you are a dom in a pack house, and expect people to remain with you for very long or to remain romantically interested in you and not become horribly resentful. Uh, Machiavelli might work when you're dealing with a populace, but it does not work when you're dealing with someone you want to fuck because there is a certain level of them having to like you that needs to be involved for them to want to have sex with you. And while a component of fear can be fun and motivating in the bedroom, someone who lives in fear of you cannot really truly consensually consent to sex with you. And that is not a good situation to be in. So you cannot be a despot as a dom in a pack house. Even if ultimately the, the buck stops with you and you are the decision maker and the arbiter of what's going to happen, you need to be doing things with at least the advice and consent of the people who are part of your pack. That means you consult them, that they feel like their voice is heard, that you make them feel like they have, you have considered their opinion and weighed their needs against your needs and the needs of everyone else who is involved, and that you have made a decision after you have empathized with each of their needs and wants and have made them feel heard and understood. That is how power exchange can work well in a DS context, in a pack house context. Without that, you are a despot and you are not a good dom. You are actually being kind of abusive. And I don't stand for that because I get accused of that quite often because people think that that is what DS looks like, where the, D, the dom just makes all the rules and the sub is off crying in a corner chained to the wall or something like that while they scrub the floor. That is not a good DS relationship. That is abuse. And you do not, I don't stand for that. So that is not how this works. If you think that's how this works, you are shitty dom. If you think that's how this works, you are ignorant. You need to read Power Circuits and please enter the damn raffle because I'm sick of hearing this shit. I'm sorry for getting on a soapbox there, but this is something that I deal with way the fuck too often personally, and it pisses me off. So yes, I'm a bit emotional about that. Do not accuse, confuse DS for abuse. If you think abuse is happening, that is not a DS relationship. That is something else. 
And then that person, that sub, needs to walk away from that relationship and get themselves to safety because that is no longer consensual and that is no longer a healthy relationship. Your pen pal shouldn't be, you know, I guess in this example, like Vero's home for wayward, you know, subs. Like you're, you're not, it's not a Seattle production of, you know, Little Orphan Annie. Like you're not, <laughs> you know, Miss Hannigan making all of your subs like scrub the floors singing it's a hard knock life like you know a lot of people for whatever reason they they view like lifestyle ds as being like oh shit if i don't clean the kitchen then i'm not eating tonight oh god no like it doesn't work like that you know at least from a dom perspective it should not work like that and if it does work like that then you're being an abusive asshole on the flip side you know, if you f- find yourself being a sub or, you know, a non-alpha, a beta, an omega, and, and that kind of a power dynamic pack house, then your job, you know, just because you're not there to fuss about the finances or the mortgage or whatever responsibilities the alpha in that relationship has, doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that you're just there to kind of fuss around about nothing. It doesn't mean that you don't contribute anything, you know, it, being in a pack house doesn't really allow for recklessness, doesn't allow for reckless behavior, doesn't allow for impulsiveness. Everything in these kinds of households, they do need to be almost calculated. They need to be very carefully thought through because whether it's egalitarian, whether it's power dynamic, the decisions that you make have an impact that resonates through other people's lives and on such a deeper level. Living in a pack house is wonderful because you have a network of support. But, you know, just like a spider web, if you attack one of those supports, it's felt through the entirety of the structure and everything becomes weaker. You can't be reckless. You can't be irrational. If you are, you need to be willing to be held accountable. If you refuse, then honestly, most pack houses that I've seen, you're out the door. They don't have time for that. Weigh carefully what you do in that kind of a position. If you're a sub, you might be delegated work. You might be told, okay, well, you know, it's I'll worry about the finances if you guys worry about the housework. If you decide, well, I'm not doing the housework because I deserve better, well, that's great. One of your relationship terms is that that's what you would do. You need to bring it up with everybody. You need to have discussions. Pack houses, regardless of the structure, rely solely on communication. And if you're not willing to communicate those things, then you're being kind of a dick. Right. And I think this is actually death to any kind of pack dynamic and death to, and really toxic for relationships Mm -hmm. is if you sit there and agree to relationship terms that you aren't happy with and you choose not to leave, but you also choose not to advocate for your own needs and don't communicate that you're resentful of a decision that's been made. And you just sit there silently stewing and simmering and lashing out at people because you're unhappy, but not actually communicating why you're unhappy or letting anyone actually do anything about it. Um, that is a recipe for making everyone's life hell, including your own. And you just need to not knock that shit off and communicate and don't blame the Dom or, or all the other members for not reading your mind and knowing that you needed this thing. Uh, if you haven't communicated it, 
Don't be resentful that, oh, I always do the dishes and you never do the dishes if you told, said, told people you wanted to do the dishes. You know, this is mm-hmm. one of those situations where people can't know you're upset about something unless you tell them. And just because they have some right or privilege that you want, that doesn't mean you couldn't have it if you asked for it and you shouldn't be resenting them for it. This happens a lot as well, I find, with subs who might actually want other play partners. This is one situation where it comes up is maybe the sub wants to submit to in the alpha, but they also wouldn't mind getting topped by someone else every now and again. And they feel like due to the nature of their relationship, they're just not allowed to seek that. But if they haven't asked, you know, they can't get, right? So maybe if they ask their dom for that, the dom would say, hey, actually, I have a friend who might want to come over and be your play partner on weekends sometimes, you know, or, you know, hey, maybe, we, you know, let's go and we'll set up a profile for you on Pounce, and I will, I will screen the doms who play with you and I will, I will know the details or I will watch or, you know, I will, mm-hmm. I will top you after they're done and, and reclaim you or something like that. There are lots of different things you might be able to negotiate there. Yeah. But if you didn't assert your need and didn't communicate, you can't get what you want. So don't expect people to hand you things that you didn't ask for. And don't resent people for not getting you things you haven't re- uh, requested. Yeah. And I mean, it could even be like, okay, well, you set yourself up a profile and you like as your dom, as you know, the person, you know, in the position that I am, you know, you can bring people to me and from that point I screen them. Like I don't choose the ones that you see, you bring them to me and then I'll make decisions based off of that. You know, it's, it's, or one thing that I do with Koji, for example, in our relationship is he's had an interest in seeking casual partners recently. And so our agreement is I don't want you getting raped. And since you're a, a tiny little twig, I don't trust other doms to play with you. Uh, but you know, if you're going to go out see them one-on-one. So our arrangement is you bring them over. I get to know them. I uh, either watch or participate in the first time you guys fuck. And then after that, you got, you have free reign. But I want to be in the mix for the first time to make sure that, number one, they know there's someone else involved who's watching out for Koji. Number two, uh, they know that Koji is taken and married. And number three, they, you know, they are getting to know and have some respect for me. So they have less of a desire to fuck me over with uh, my husband. So it's good for everybody. And that's something that we consensually agree to. And that works for us. So there are ways of negotiating and arranging for these things, but you have to ask for what you want. You can't just assume that you can't get it or decide, oh no, what I want is too selfish. Therefore I can't bring it up, but it's better for me to lash out at people. Um, <laughs> that's not a good recipe for success. Right. Metrico? Right. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's, in terms of communication, like that is really, I would say, one of the largest issues that pack houses face in general. I mean, you know, lapses in communication where somebody feels negatively about something or somebody wants something, but they're afraid to ask because they think that it's an unreasonable request. Uh, I mean, people not seeing eye to eye on something allowing for, you know, if a decision is made that you don't agree with, but you don't voice your opinion. And so you just grow bitter and bitter and bitter lapses in communication are relationship killers. They are the silver bullets that will destroy the love that you build in a pack house. So as with any kind of polyamory, you know, polyamorous relationship, the closer that you are and the more people that there are, the more difficult it can become So you want to make sure that everybody is communicating. They are communicating directly and that everybody feels regardless of the structure of the house, egalitarian, power dynamic, however you want to frame it, everybody needs to feel that their voice can and will be heard. Even if you are the omega of the omegas in your little pack house, if you have a problem, you need to be able to have your voice heard. If you're in a position where 
people are just like, no, you don't get to speak until you're spoken to. That's not a good, healthy relationship. That's abusive. So you can't really structure your life around that. Again, that might work for scene play. That might work for role play. That doesn't work for lifestyling. That doesn't work for a long-term healthy relationship. You need to always feel free to speak your mind about concerns that you have about the relationship and ways that you can resolve them. Yeah, so one thing that I do with my partners is I basically give them a kind of code word that's almost like a safe word for when they need to exit the DS uh, dynamic in order to communicate a concern and have basically have an, a nonviolent communication, like empathy session with me. And we use EGAL. So if a sub tells me EGAL, we drop our DS dynamic temporarily and just have a heart to heart and figure out what the fuck is going wrong or what's, what the issue is or who needs to be talked to or whatever the case might be, because that allows us to resolve issues before they become a problem. You don't have to do it exactly that way, but you definitely need to make sure that even the most submissive of subby subs can still communicate with Sir Master Domly Dom and tell them that, hey, there's a problem here and I need it addressed. Uh, and, you know, you, you might have very, if you have really poor self-esteem and you think, oh, my problems don't matter, I can just suffer here silently. You know, you might think that's good for everybody, but when you're suffering like that, people can tell that you're suffering and it just drags down the mood and the aura of the, of the pack. And you might think you're, you're the only one making the sacrifice, but anyone, anytime you're making a sacrifice like that, it actually does uh, bring down everyone else around you as well. And your Dom will be able to pick up on that. It's going to affect your Dom too. It's just not going to be good. So no matter how, you know, even if you have low self-esteem, keep in mind that your happiness is in the best interest of everybody in the pack. So even if you're not interested in it for your own purposes, you being happy is better for everybody else than you being sad. So make sure that you're happy because if unless everybody is at least somewhat happy in the pack, the pack is not healthy. The pack is not going to be doing well. The pack is sick and you don't want to have a sick pack. You want to have a healthy pack. So make sure everybody is getting their needs met at least enough of the time that everybody can be somewhat happy. Otherwise, you've got a problem that needs to be addressed. And that's why I recommend being able to exit out of the power dynamic to have those types of conversations because you don't need to have, you can't have somebody who's chronically sad in a pack due to some issue that's not been addressed because without that, um, you're going to have an issue. Um, so there's, you know, a parable, I guess we'll call it. There's, there's a story that I like to tell and it's, you're on one side of a river and there's a man on the other side of the river. And he asks you, how do I get to the other side of the river? And you tell him, you are on the other side. Whenever people come to you with problems or concerns in a relationship, you need to be able to empathize with them. There is a certain level of logic that is needed, but you don't need to be, you know, silly about it. You don't need to be snarky about it. You can't fail to empathize in a polyamorous relationship in a polyamorous pack house. When you do that... It makes people feel less valued. It makes people feel less than one. Everybody needs to have a say. And if you're a dom and somebody comes to you with their concerns, it's easy and it's good. And I know that, you know, I do this sometimes when, you know, somebody comes to me with an issue, you want to try and make it about you, you know. Let's say, and we'll, we'll just say, let's say Vera came to me and said, ow, I stubbed my toe. You know, somebody that doesn't empathize would be like, oh man, you think that's bad? I, you know, camera, you know, I broke my toe. You know, it's, it's, you don't want to make issues about yourself. You don't, 
If somebody comes to you in your relationship and they say, I'm having a problem, you need to be able to hear them out. You need to be able to empathize with them. You need to be able to listen to them and find that solution. Even though the problems might exist in a group setting, it could be, you know, I'm having a problem with Billy and, you know, Emily is being kind of a bitch to me and, you know, I don't know what to do. You need to be able to hear people out, even if you know that they're in the wrong. That conversation is going to be essential because even in the end, if they realize, oh, wow, I'm actually in the wrong, the fact that they were able to talk to you and disclose everything to you without you interrupting, without you saying, well, no, you're wrong and here's why. You need to not allow for that communication to become one-sided. Even as a dom, you're never really dictating terms. You're just communicating in a separate way. Whenever there's a break in, you know, power dynamic, if your relationship is egalitarian, that conversation needs to happen. And if you're not sure that it can happen, you need to allow, say, okay, well, I don't know if I can talk to you about this right now, but would this time work for you? When would be better for you? This is when I'm free. This is when we would be able to have this discussion. And you need to be able to have discussions like that, especially where there are problems that somebody is having with another person. Don't immediately mediate. Mediation without knowing the full story is going to be a failure. You need to immediately listen to the person or listen to them at your earliest convenience, hear their concerns, and then from there, decide if that's something that needs mediation, whether that's something that needs mediation between the two people or the entire house. In that case, that's less of mediation, more maybe an intervention. But you need to be able to make those decisions, especially if you are, you know, the alpha of the relationship. One thing I like to say in this context, too, is that the empathy should always happen in an egalitarian context, even if the decision-making that you do afterwards happens in a DS context. So empathize and hear out the needs and wants. I'm just a person-to-person, you know, we're two individuals talking level. And then you can you can exit out of that and make your decision. But then you've at least heard out the person that you're making that's being affected by the decision, and they feel like they've been heard. So that stuff should happen in pretty much an egalitarian context. If you would like more help with figuring out how to do these types of empathy communication sessions or nonviolent communication sessions, I would really urge you to check out some of our earlier episodes on empathy and nonviolent communication, which both of which I think are two of our finest uh, episodes. We also have, a, I think, an episode on resolving conflict or apologizing, and that would also be a great episode to look at for that type of thing as well. You know, it's... The, the lapses in communication, as I said, they are relationship killers. And it goes all around. You know, it's not just the dom refusing to communicate. It's not just the sub refusing to communicate. You know, it takes two to tango. At some point, there was a breakdown in that, you know, communication train, so to speak. You need to be able to recognize when those warning lights appear. You need to be able to recognize when things start going poorly so that way you can discuss them. Recognizing that there's an issue is fine and dandy, but if you don't discuss what that problem is, it's a wonderful mental exercise and it's actually not practical in any way, shape, or form. You have to be able to discuss the difficult things. You have to be able to discuss problems without it becoming personal. 
there is, you know, one member in the pack that is doing something that kind of irritates you. You don't need to make it an all-out war. You need to be able to discuss, like, you know, sometimes because you work weird hours, you work overnight, when you're on your days off and you're up all night, you're really loud when you play the League of Legends, and I really wish that you would be a little bit quieter because some of us do have to sleep to go to work. Is that something that maybe you could do? We can, you know, look into buying you a pair of headphones. Is a little bit completely different than, you ignorant fuck, you selfish prick, you worm, you turd. Why the fuck are you keeping us up? Do you not respect us? You know, it's, it's, some people just don't have awareness, you know, they're having a good time and they don't realize that maybe they're having a good time impacts other people. So being able to discuss things in a way that is less confrontational, but also addresses the issue, you know, is helpful. I tend to find that if I go into a discussion for a conflict, um, I try to have one or two different resolutions in mind. Try to think, well, is this something that you could do? Is this something that you could do? And you listen to what they have to say. A lot of the time, when you offer solutions that are in some way equitable, in that case, you know, you're playing your video games late at night and it's keeping us up. You know, what, do you need a pair of headphones? It could be that maybe they do and they didn't know how to ask for it or they felt really bad because they couldn't afford the pair that they wanted. Maybe... There are many ways that you can resolve things like this, but if you don't discuss them, if you're just like, well, I'll just kind of roll over. I live in New York City, and more often than not, we just ignore the inconveniences because they're they're transients. They're, you know, people that are driving on the street that are being utter jackasses and blaring their horn and having whatever the fuck music they're listening to, but they're gone, and chances are you'll never see them again. That's not the case in a pack house. You live with these fuckers. You fuck these fuckers. You have to discuss these things. You can't just ignore them. You can't just be like, and this too shall come to pass. You're not a saint. You're not a sinner. You're a lover, and lovers need to discuss these issues before they become problems and before those problems become relationship breakers. That's not to say that there will never be personality clashes. The more people that you enter into a relationship together, the more likelihood there is that there will be people that their personalities do not always sync up all the time. I'll use me as an example. I am an extreme introvert. I don't always like going outside. You know, if given the choice between, hey, do you want to stay in and watch Netflix versus, hey, do you want to go out to the club tonight? I'm going to stay the fuck inside. I have worked at the club too long in my goddamn life. Like, I don't want to go there. There will be people that might enter the relationship that are those opposites, where somebody is like, hey, I have a great idea. Why don't all of us, let's go out and we'll go to this party that I've heard great things about. Oh, and it's going to be so much fun. Whereas the other person is like, I am peopled the fuck out for the week and I just want to stay inside. I can barely look at you motherfuckers right now. And, mm, like, I'm closing my door. You need to be able to mediate these personality clashes. You need to find some common ground. Maybe instead of going to the party, you guys go and do something else if you have to do it all together. Or maybe you're just like, hey, we all don't have to go out together to have a good time. Would you staying home give you a better time? Great. We're going to feel that level of compersion. Enjoy your motherfucking book. We're going to go out and get motherfucking drunk, bitches. What's up? Like, 
Personality clashes are inevitable. They happen in monogamous relationships. It could be that your husband grinds his teeth and it pisses you the fuck off whenever you're trying to do your cross-stitching. I don't know what you do in your life. I don't judge you. I do cross-stitching. It's okay. But the thing is, is that you have to be able to discuss these personality clashes, these small things that people do, the ways that people talk, the cadence, the tone in their voice, the volume in their voice. Could be that they're a little bit more forward than you would be, you know, comfortable with normally. Have these discussions and be vulnerable with each other. You can't come to everybody, especially in a pack house, with this aura of always being right. Because you're not. Nobody's right in this case. They are the way that they are. You are the way that you are. And the only way that you're going to be able to find some commonality is by talking it out. And this happens more often than not in cases where the house is a little bit more of a power dynamic. Egalitarian relationships, they tend to be on the level where everybody is, you know, they sign off on the person that's moving in. They sign off because it's an egalitarian relationship. You know, just because it's egalitarian for the record doesn't mean that everybody's fucking each other. Again, ask for their chart. Like, you know, that's just how it is. And power dynamics, there do tend to be a little bit more of a... People do tend, especially these subs, they try to kind of put their best foot forward for the alpha at first. And when people become comfortable, more of their personality tends to come out, more of their, you know, maybe, I wouldn't say negative qualities, but more of who they are at a resting state comes out. Everybody wants to look their best at the first, especially in a pack house. You need to understand that not everybody is going to stay the same. We are not static people. Subs are not static. We are not, you know, that that's just not how, you know, anybody really works. So... Be willing to allow for people to adjust, allow for that adjustment period, allow for the fact that there are going to be multiple personalities with disagreements on things. It could be that you love anime, and one of your metamors thinks the anime was a mistake. That's fine. Just because you have differences in opinion doesn't mean that one of you has to move out. If that were the case, nobody would cohabitate, ever. Having differences in a pack house, having different perspectives, makes things much richer. You know, if you're making a stew, you can't just throw in carrots. You have to have different kinds of vegetables with different textures. You have to have different ingredients. A pack house is a motherfucking stew. You want to make sure that everybody brings something unique. Otherwise, it's going to be bland. Sure, it's not always going to be sunshine and chocolate chip cookies. There are going to be arguments. There might be people crying sometimes. But the good times tend to outweigh the bad. With personality clashes, it's just a fact of life. Learn to discuss them without making them personal. Learn to be able to say, you know, I can appreciate the fact that you don't like this thing that I do, but I really enjoy it. So, you know, maybe I'll enjoy it by myself and you can not enjoy it by yourself. And we don't have to talk about this because it's completely meaningless. It's it's a hobby that I do and it has no impact on your life. But, you know, if you're ever interested, the door is open. You know, allow for there to be wiggle room, allow for there to be space for people to grow, for people to have conversation. It goes back to the lapse in communication. Don't be kowtowed, don't be intimidated by somebody who comes in and they are like a motherfucking bull in a china shop, just raring and rearing and going, and you're just like, oh fuck, I can't ever approach somebody. If it's a dom-sub relationship, if it's an egalitarian relationship, regardless, you have the ability to have that discussion. And if you don't feel that you have that ability to have the discussion, then there is something off. And you need to figure that out and you need to determine, 
your place in the relationship or if the relationship is going to move forward with you. I think then we'll talk about jealousy and envy for a bit. Yeah. And uh, this is something that I think uh, comes up in a lot of uh, these types of relationships. I think it tends to come up a bit more in the DS polyam- uh, polyamorous pack house relationships. And that's because, especially if it's only one dom for multiple subs, uh, there's going to be times when the dom is giving attention to one sub and not the others where they might start feeling some envy in that situation. There are a few ways to resolve that. One is to for the dom to be very astute in making sure that no subs are getting more attention overall than the other subs are and uh, making sure things are being shared equitably, not evenly and not equally, equitably. There's a difference uh, because equally means you, like for every 15-minute interval you have to, with one sub, you have to have 15 minutes with the other. And frankly, that just doesn't work. Equitable means everybody's needs are getting met. So I'm going to be meeting your needs and they'll be meeting your needs and make sure everybody's needs gets met and nobody's needs are being neglected. That's equitable. Equality doesn't really work, but equitable does. Make sure everybody's getting f- treated fairly, not equally. So that is one way to approach it. But there will be, if there's a large number of subs, it can still be difficult for the dom to get around to taking care of everybody's needs all the time, especially if, say, one sub is in crisis. Maybe for that particular time period, all the dom's energy needs to be going into that one sub because the sub is maybe suicidal. Maybe that sub lost their job. Maybe their parent died or something horrible happened. And the dom just needs to focus on that one person to be their support network right now. The other subs might feel neglected or envious or jealous or any other number of emotions. And it's not, not necessarily the best if their only source of support is the dom. So I do encourage maybe a slightly broader hierarchy in especially larger pack house type dynamics where it's usually a good idea to have at least one, either another another alpha who lives uh, in, the, in the house who maybe you're also connected to, uh, or to have some betas, uh, some people who maybe aren't quite on your level of authority, but who are at least permitted to interact sexually and uh, intimately with the other subs. So maybe you have, you know, an alpha slave and some on the other subs. So you have a right hand uh, furry, <laughs> so to speak. And that person then can kind of be your uh, alpha pro temp when you're off dealing with other issues. That is important to have. Someone who you can trust to uh, kind of be there for your other subs when you are away on important business, whether that's taking care of a sub, maybe you have to go abroad for a work trip, whatever it might be, you need to make sure your subs have someone that's looking after them when you're away if they're used to having that level of support and guidance in their lives. So try to look for having an alpha slave or beta or whatever you want to call it, a co-alpha, some other you know, role going on. Make sure that that role is occupied and you've got someone who can do that for you if there is a good chance that you are going to be sometimes kind of pulled away from your pack. Because a pack that is doesn't have its leader is kind of not going to run smoothly for the most part. And it's good to have that ability to do that. Uh, that's basically like having a major domo. So basically when you're off doing something, you have your major domo running the house and they report back to you what the issues are. And you can just be, that you now have one point of contact with resolving issues with the pack while you're away. And that can be very helpful if you're occupied and, and kind of need to reduce your level of investment temporarily while dealing with some other issue. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason that the old guard, especially the leather community, ran basically militaristically. Like, you rose through the ranks in terms of responsibility because of this. Because, let's say that, you know, 
the head honcho is off, you know, busy doing something. Maybe he's at work and he's unreachable. I mean, this was in the days before cell phones and pagers, and it was difficult to get a hold of people. You had to, like, call the operator, and there was a manual switchboard. There would always be somebody that they could go to. Um, it's in the military. It's, it's you know, kind of like a standard operating procedure, an SOP, where if something happens, then there is... There is a standard response. Okay, here's a standard operating procedure. If there is an issue at home and I am at work, then you report to this person. If they are unavailable, then you ask this person and you go down the, you know, chain of command, you know. In smaller pack houses, in pack houses where it's a married couple and they both have a pet or one of them has a pet and the other one is okay with that, you know, it may be a little bit more lax. It may be a little bit less structured, but, you know, especially in cases where there is a power dynamic in play you want to make sure that everybody has a reaction where it's not going to be like oh i can never you know do things that i want as the dom because i'm too busy with you know my harem you know that might be self-destructive <laughs> so can speak from experience there having made that mistake in certain contexts in the past yes don't yeah. lose yourself to your pack even because then it really just stops being a good fit for you because you, you no longer, longer are looking after your own needs. You're only looking after the needs of those who you're responsible for. Yeah. Keep in mind you're still responsible for yourself, too. Yeah, don't lose your way, as an anime song would tell you. You know, it's it's make sure that you're allowing yourself the same freedoms that you would allow your subs. And make sure that in absence there are ways that, you know, they're able to self-manage. Um, again, the co-alpha is a great suggestion. Um, I mean, a lot of pop houses or um, pop communities, I should say. I use the word house for the record, um, coming from the drag community where everything is a house. So sorry if that's not the terminology that you would want to use. It's default for me. But, um, you know, in, in houses that, you know, centers around a pop community, you, you will find that there are going to be like, I'm the omega, I'm the alpha, I'm the beta, I'm the beta prime, you know. And it sounds kind of silly for people that it might be on the outside, but it works. It works hmm. wonders. And it's not, you know... A determination of value. It's a determination of responsibility. Structure. Yeah, just, yeah, just pure structure. It doesn't mean you're worth more. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're the beta, therefore you're worth three subs, and like you can can't trade them like baseball cards. That's yeah. not how it works. Yeah, like you're not you're not Poppymon cards. Like, you know, it's it's not like, ooh, I'm the rare golden foil, you know, Papazard. That means that I am worth at least ninety dollars and a blowjob. Like, it doesn't work like that. It's it's for structure and responsibility. And for some people that enter into these relationships, they want more structure but less responsibility. So being an Omega, being the bottom man on the totem pole works for them. Here's the secret about the bottom of the totem pole. It is actually the base of the structure. And if the bottom, if the structure of the totem pole is faulty, the entire thing topples over. So everybody yeah. plays a motherfucking role. Just because yeah. you are not the head honcho doesn't mean that you're not important. Right. So again, let's say that I've got four subs who live with me and I'm the alpha. And now one of my subs has a broke their arm. So I and I then say to my one of my other subs, who is my alpha slave, hey, you you guard everybody else. If anyone, anyone really needs me, you got my cell phone. Otherwise, make sure everything's running smoothly. You can resolve conflicts until I get back. I'm going to go to the hospital with so-and-so. That works. And whether that's a beta or an alpha slave or a co-alpha or whatever it might be, or a mistress, if you're a you know, husband and wife team, maybe there's a master and the mistress and everybody else serves the two of them. Who knows what it might be? But the point is... There's your, mm -hmm. your dynamic. In some cases, you'll have a master and an alpha. That's actually something that I've done with uh, Leo, who is another mate of mine. We don't have a pack house together yet, but you know when we are relating to others, 
we were both dominance. And so I take on the label of master, he takes on the label of alpha just for clarity. And so then we've got a master and an alpha and both of them are the source of authority. It's kind of like having, uh, you know, from the Roman era, you'd have, you know, your, um, mm-hmm. the, the co-consuls, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we kind of have a co-consular sort of relationship going on where we're the two sources of authority and everybody else looks up to us. So that, you know, you can do it a lot of different ways, but you want to have someone who's not just the only person. And so I'm going to mention something and this happens a lot. And this is just a shout out of shitty behavior you should not do. That's going to be a new segment on the show. Shitty shit you shouldn't shit and do with Metrico. Do not try to pit the alphas against one another. If somebody tells you no, do not go to the other alpha to look for a yes. You might have gotten away with that with your parents, but don't do that with your fucking lovers. Do not do this shit. Do not shitting, shitting, shit, shit. Do that shit. Please, for the love of God, do not do that. Now, I will say one thing. You can do that, but then... Disclose, hey, my other alpha said no, but I still really want to do this thing. Can you talk to them? Can you guys talk and figure it out? But do not not disclose the other person already mm-hmm. said no. That is shitty. <laughs> yeah, don't don't be like, yo, I want to go and like fuck this other guy. No. Hey, other person, can I go and have sex with this person? Yeah, go right ahead. Do it. Um, Yeah, don't do that. Always fully disclose if somebody, you know, if somebody in a position of authority in your relationship has told you no, and yeah, like, just don't do that. It's good to have discussions like that. It's good to be like, you know, I'd rather, you know, maybe we could all get together and see if we can't come to some agreement because, you know, I would really enjoy doing this. So could, you know, the other, you know, could he come in and, you know, have this discussion? Oh, well, he's busy. Okay, well, maybe, you know, not right now, but in the future you know, near future, let's put a date on this, let's put a time on this, and let's have this discussion. That's the way you should do it. Again, it's all about communication. It's not about deception. Do not deceive people in an attempt to get what you want. Do not bait and switch people. Do not lie to people. If you have two alphas, if you have two people that you're beholden to, do not try to pit them together in a, you know, a battle of will. Because... Chances are, once they realize what's happened, they're not going to be mad at each other. They're going to be like, oh, that motherfucking shit. And you're the one that's on the hook for it. So make sure that you do things ethically. Make sure that you do things openly. Make sure that you do things honestly. And you're going to have a good time with it. I promise. So that's been this week. And shitting shit you shouldn't shitting shit do with Metrico. Don't shitting do it. And again, speaking as someone who is in this situation... Uh, if you do, if you do have two alphas or two dominants of any kind who are in your pack, those people do talk to each other. If they don't find out immediately, they will find out that you fuck them over. It will happen. It's not a matter of if or or it's a matter of when, mm-hmm. because the only way that dynamic ever works is if the two alphas communicate basically nonstop. Because you can't have two sources of authority unless they're in cahoots with each other. It doesn't work. So they they're, they're constantly talking, and maybe a half hour or a day will go by where they don't figure this shit out, but they will figure it out, and then that's going to suck for you. So don't think there's oh well they're not going to mention it'll never come up. I mean they'll, they'll never actually talk. About about it no like the first thing that's going to happen when you know leo comes over if that happens to us is like oh by the way so and so asked if they could sleep with somebody did they meant to talk to you about that and they'll be like oh yeah they totally did and i said no i'm like oh well i said yes sorry about that we have to talk to them (laughs) yeah you know it's it's you best believe that anytime that i've been in the position where i share responsibility for apac you best fucking believe that I just had a running chat going. And I'm like, hey, just so you know, so-and-so asked me about this. I gave this answer. Just FYI, you best believe that shit happened in near real time. 
And the reason that I bring that up is because that, you know, has caught some of the people that have been in my life by surprise several times. Communication is key. Again, communication is the relationship killer. If you don't communicate and other people are communicating, you might find that you can't shit a shitter. So don't fucking do that. Jealousy and envy, you know, it's 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 fine to be, you know, jealous of the fact that your doms have a little bit more freedom. It's fine to be envious of the fact that you're not able to do things that you might want to do that other people are. But don't allow jealousy and envy to try to pit people in your life in a battle of wits and wills and like, I'm the dom and you're not the dom anymore and all that shit. Like, it's not going to destroy the relationship for everybody else. It's just going to destroy you out of the relationship. It's self-destructive. Right. So, and another thing I'll point out here, too, is, you know, get it, pulling things over on your alpha is going to work some of the time, but it's not going to work most of the time. And that's because any alpha with any level of experience has pretty much seen it all before. And we know when subs are trying to manipulate us. We know when we're being played. We can usually see through it pretty fast. You might be able to get something biased for a short amount of time, especially if we're really trusting of you and, you know, really trying to be empathetic and, you know, wanting to assume good faith. Most mm-hmm. doms are going to try to assume good faith, which makes us easy to take advantage of. But that's the way a relationship should work is that you should be assuming good faith. That's the point you should be starting from. So you can take advantage and fuck over someone for a short amount of time, but it's almost never the case that you can get something by an alpha for very long just because if they have had subs for a long period of time, they've seen it all before and they know the tells. Like I very can quickly tell if a sub is cheating on me just because I can detect the subtle shifts in communication and behavior that are usually indicative of cheating. I can figure it out. And I almost I have a pretty much 100% batting record. When I suspect cheating is happening, I, I've always been right. So... To keep that in mind, you can get something over on a, a, an alpha for a short amount of time, but even if you don't think they know, they probably know and are just waiting for you to come forward because they'd rather trust you mm-hmm. and let you make that decision. But there's a pretty good chance your alpha knows. So just keep that in mind. Yep. So, you know, another thing that people struggle with in a pack house is going to be, you know, there's no real personal space. There's no alone time. You're in a group house and you might have your own room but you feel that you are constantly surrounded by other people and it's difficult for you to recoup and it's difficult for you to find time to pursue your own personal endeavors. Maybe you're really interested in that cross-stitching that I mentioned earlier. And if you are, don't worry, you are not alone, friend. It can be difficult to find time for yourself, especially when you feel that you're obligated to be interacting with people in your house all time of the day. It's actually not that difficult. Just, you know, again, it goes down to communication. Just be like, hey, everybody, I'm having a little bit of a down night. And what would be really helpful for me is if I can just kind of be by myself. I'm not angry at anybody. I'm not upset at anybody. You know, I'm just feeling a little bit peopled out. I need time to recover. I want to read a book. You know, would it be okay if everybody, if I just kind of hold up in my room and, you know, when I'm feeling a little bit better, then maybe I'll come back out and hang out with everybody. And that could be, you know, a great way You know, for everybody to be on the same page, for everybody to realize that you have your own needs that need to be met. For some people, a pack house actually kind of presents its own unique challenge in the fact that you are always with other people. So it's difficult for you to maintain your outside connections. You know, it's difficult for you to kind of come and say, my friend is having a party and I would like to go. They've invited me. Oh, okay. well, we'll get our shoes on. No, they've invited just me. And I would like to go just me. It can be kind of tricky for that, especially in cases where the pack is used to making decisions and going to events together. 
but you have to be willing to recognize the fact that, you know, it is important to maintain your outside connections and it is important that you maintain your individuality. Again, you are not a collective. You are not the Borg. The relationship is, you know, not that level of, you know, the strongest one of us is all of us. Be willing to allow people to maintain outside friendships, outside connections, because when the only people you have to turn to are the ones that are inside the relationship, if you burn all of your bridges and the relationship ends, you have nowhere to go. So have that discussion. If you're looking to have a pack house, if you're looking, you know, in your polyamorous relationship, be willing to discuss the impact that it might have on your friends. Make sure that you understand that other people, it could be, hey, I'm going out with Julie for drinks tonight. You know, I'll be back later. I hope both of you have a really great night. Being in a pack house can be really great for that because if one person steps out for the evening in order to, you know, hang out with a work friend, hang out with a friend from outside of the relationship, it doesn't mean that you're just kind of sitting there, you know, twiddling your thumbs alone like, well, I mean, I guess I can play the Xbox. You know, don't allow for other people to feel neglected in your own life. The pack house is great. It's a great way for relationship fulfillment, but man does not live on bread alone. Sometimes you need another friend to come in and kind of rejuvenate you to be able to unwind about things because it could be that your pack house, they don't necessarily relate to what you do at work, but you have a coworker that you just want to bitch about work for a solid hour and have a drink or two at the bar. Maintain those relationships and allow other people in your pack house to maintain those relationships without you interfering. Again, you're not a collective. You don't have to do everything together. Allow for there to be some unique things, some individual things, some things that allow for me time, for alone time, to just kind of be yourself for a time. And that will help the health of the relationship so immensely. It's, it's, It's not a joke. This is a serious thing. Yeah, so a couple things on this point, too, that I think I'll expand on for a minute, just because I have experience with this, too. Um, definitely, packs, I think, are healthier when everyone still has their own, some of their own individual connections. So I'm just going to give a few examples of that. Koji right now is out hanging out with his sister, who lives locally in Seattle. And we hang out as together sometimes, but Koji often goes off just to have brother-sister time. And that's really healthy for him, because it's completely outside of furry, it's outside of everything, it's just someone he's known forever, who he can kind of bitch about and be completely himself with. He can bitch about me, he can bitch about whatever, and that's great for him. That's really healthy for him to have that outlet. So when he wants to go off and hang with his sister, he actually often does that when we're podcasting, because I'm busy podcasting anyway. Super, and if he's not going to be on the show, it works out great for him to go do that. So he's out with his sister. Uh, for me, uh, for a long while, and this is still somewhat the case, I have a mate, Rhythm, who is not really a full member of my pack, but he's, he's a really strong connection for me personally. So that connection works really well for me because I can kind of talk about what's going on with my pack with him, and he's a really great source of support in that way as well. I will also argue that Metrico fills some of that function because Metrico and I don't fuck, contrary to popular belief. He is not part of my pack. Surprise, surprise, but- motherfuckers! But we are best friends, and when we have shit going on in our lives, assuming we're not both having shit going on in our lives at the same time, we can go to each other for advice and help with things when we need them. So that is something that's really important for us to have. And I think Metrico plays a really valuable role in my life in that way, because he's someone I can always go to for advice and support. And we think very similarly about these things. So he's also a very good truth checker and kind of crazy checker for me, where if I want to check, hey, Metrico, am I being overly emotional about this or am I about right? He's really good at keeping me 
uh, kind of grounded in that way. So it's important to have those types of people in addition to just your pack. You don't want to have just your pack because if there's an issue with your pack, you can't go to your pack about your pack. It's, part, it's the venting thing we talk about. I talk about that in our panel as well. Where you want to have, if you're going to vent to someone, vent to somebody who doesn't have a connection, ideally, to the other people you're talking about, because you don't want to be poisoning another relationship. If I vent to somebody inside of my pack about another pack member, I'm now basically injecting poison into their connection with each other, because I'm injecting my negativity into the situation. So don't, you don't want to spread negativity around. That just creates bad feelings, and it's really, you kind of playing a really shitty game of telephone. What you want to do is you're going to vent or going to go to somebody for support. You want that person ideally to have no connection to anyone else other than you because they then can have a pretty objective opinion and are going to be able to give you pretty decent advice. When you go to people who are mutually connected to the people you're talking about, you can't necessarily always trust that the advice is unbiased and you also can't trust that you're not coloring your, their opinion of the other person. And neither of those is a very good situation. So be wary of that. In certain cases, you will have to talk about pack issues with people inside of the pack. But again, then be aware that you're doing something that can create problems and try to kind of mitigate against the problems, be aware of them and counteract them, kind of account for them. So if you say something negative about somebody, say something positive about them also. If you describe a conflict about somebody, go back to that person and tell them what the resolution was and tell them how awesome that person made you feel after you settled up and made up with each other. Tell them how great the makeup sex was if you were to have that type of relationship, right? So make sure that you're always communicating, you're updating those people, and you're not just letting negative negative to kind of spread and kind of linger. Uh, one thing that can be really toxic is if you vent to someone and you only ever talk about the other person when things are going wrong, that person has no basis to know why the fuck you're even spending time with that person. And they might start giving you really bad advice, like just break up with them then already, or yeah, just ditch that person. If they have no idea what that person is doing right, and you're not talking to them about what's so great about their relationship, the only basis they have is how much you hate this person, how much they're constantly disappointing you. And so their advice is going to be, leave them. And if you take that advice at face value and don't account for the fact that you've never said anything positive about this person, that's going to be horrible advice that you're following. So just be very wary of those types of situations. Don't set up situations where you are venting to someone and not giving them the full picture of what that person means to you because you're going to get very bad advice. So definitely maintain those outside connections, but also be very careful that you're giving them the full picture and not just going to, those, going to them about issues with your pack and never going to them about anything positive. There are some things that I will say that you may not, you know, want to share outside of the pack. Um, you know, one of the issues that packs can sometimes run into would be, you know, something like financial burdens. It could be that one of the members of the pack maybe necessarily isn't pulling their weight. It could be, you know, they got laid off at their job and they're having difficulty finding work and you guys are struggling financially. You know, that may not be something that you want to kind of call to attention because it could be, you know, embarrassing. You know, especially if there are other connections that the, uh, that, you know, they have. If it's somebody that, you know, isn't maybe neutral in the relationship, it's a friend that all of you share. Maybe, you know, you keep that, you know, kind of to yourself or within the pack. And, you know, financial burdens actually is something that, you know, it is important to discuss because when you're in a group house, you have shared financial burden. You have to make sure that the bills are paid, that the rent, if you're renting, is paid on time, the mortgage is paid on time, the light bill, the, you know, everything needs to be, you know, shared. There might be some cases where, and this happens especially in like um, power dynamic households where the alpha assumes responsibility. They're the main breadwinner. Okay, well, you know, it's I work a good job, so I'll pay the mortgage, I'll make sure that the bills are paid, but, you know, 
everything else you guys have to take care of. You know, if you want luxury things, you have to take care of that. You know, I'll take care of the base things. You could share it more equitably. It could be, okay, well, we all live together. We all need to make sure this is, you know, I, you know, the gas bill is in my name and the gas for this month was $50. So five people live here, $10 each, you know, and there are great ways that you can manage this. Um, for myself in the apartment that I live in, we use a, uh, an app called split pay that will automatically calculate. Okay. Well, there are four people that are in this group. The bill was for $43. The total comes out to like, you know, $9 and odd change. So pay up and it will automatically send you reminders. There are ways you can manage these things to where it's not again, like, yo, so you haven't paid your light bill and it's been two days. What's going on with that? Like electricity bill is due. Come on, friend. Financial burdens are a hot topic. You know, a lot of people don't like talking about finances. You know, people don't like talking about money, religion, or politics and a pack house. You got to be willing to talk about all of those. <laughs> and yep. If you're having struggles with money, talk to your pack. If you're having problems not knowing how to budget, overspending, you know, talk to your pack. It could be embarrassing, but like one of them has probably licked your butthole. So it's not going to be much worse than that. You have probably farted in the room with somebody and that's like the ultimate embarrassment for somebody. Chances are they have probably heard you take a poo. Don't worry about it. They're there to support you. They're there to ensure your success because you are all on a ship together in this pack house. And if one of you have a, you know, shortcoming, the ship is a stray. It is a ship without wind and you can't sail a sailboat unless there's a wind or you have an electric motor, but you're not really sailing at that point. So, you know, make sure that if there are issues with your money or somebody is struggling with money, that it's something that you guys discuss and you don't need to blame. If somebody has issues with overspending, maybe they spend way too much money on Hearthstone and they're having problems buying food. You know, talk about that. And you don't need to be like, well, you're the jackass that's spending 50 bucks every week on goddamn cards. You know, be like, this is something that you need to cut back on. If you're in a power dynamic relationship, it could be, would you be comfortable with me taking over your finances for a bit? balancing your, you know, checks, doing all of that for you and giving you an allowance that you can spend on a weekly basis until you feel a little bit more comfortable in what you're doing and we can pay off your bills. There are ways that you can go about doing this that everybody feels again that they're not like an idiot, but they have some kind of equal say. And that's actually how I like to run my pack house just because I all the bills are in my name, so the way it works for me is everybody's income flows to me and then I Take care of all the necessities, make sure all of that stuff is cleared out, make sure that debt maintenance is happening and everything is being taken care of. And then from that, we then, you know, as luxury, we allow each of my mates will has a credit card they can use that's attached to my credit account. So as they swipe and make their purchases, I see those charges, I get notifications so I can see what they're spending on. And, you know, spending of a certain amount on things like food and basic necessities is allowed. And if I see a purchase that's a large ticket item or something that I haven't, we haven't talked about, that then becomes a conversation of, oh, I see you charged so-and-so at this store. What was that about? And we can have a conversation if that wasn't a tough thing we talked about to make sure it's in budget. But that way, I'm, they have the ability, they have agency, they can spend money just like anybody else. They've got a credit card, they can spend money. It's not like I, they have to come to me and ask me for, you know, to, to pull a check out of my wallet every time. But 
because uh, I want them to be able to have that agency. But then they can also say, oh, yeah, I, I decided to uh, stop and buy the new this new game on my way home. And if that's something we didn't really have in the budget this month, we'll be like, oh, you know, we really couldn't afford that so well this month. So what are you willing to give up? Or what are you willing to forego since you spent that money? So there's a conversation. Because I want my, my mates and my pets to have agency. I want them to be able to do things for themselves and to feel like they're not under my, like, lock and key, except when that's you know, literally under my lock and key. And that's kind of a hot situation we can talk about on a different show. But they should feel like they can go out and do things. But they, it also needs to be within the context of what we've agreed to, what we can afford, what, you know, what makes sense for us. And if there's a purchase that's you know, outrageous, it's going to be a conversation and that's going to have to be, you know, either returned or accounted for or something. But, you know, it works pretty well that way. And that way I can manage the finances, make sure everything's running smoothly, and I handle the coordination of where the money is being spent. And that works very well. Yeah. So, I mean, have that's, one, that's just one way of doing it. Yeah. So definitely have discussions about finances. Like, again, it could be an uncomfortable topic. Not everybody. I mean, I've been in relationships where. I have never known how much money that my partner makes, and he never knows how, never knew how much I made. But if you're in a pack house, that might be something you want to discuss. Like, that is, you know, again, uncomfortable, and you might feel like, oh my god, like, I only make this much and you make that much. Holy fuck. But that's going to help determine who can kind of contribute to what. You don't want to be overburdened with bills that you can't realistically pay if you are a full-time student and you work a part-time job and you make barely enough money to cover, you know, your car, like the insurance for your car. You don't want to then be settled with, okay, well, you're going to be responsible for also paying half of the mortgage. Oh, no, I didn't tell people. Disclose this information. Talk about this information. And don't judge people based off of how much they make. You love them not because of their wallet. You probably love them because of other things that they have, like, you know, the fact that they're actually a decent person that you want to spend a long, large part of your life with. So, you know, have that difficult discussion. Have that uncomfortable discussion. And when it comes to financial burdens, make sure that you're sharing things, you know, fairly. Make sure that it makes sense based off of how much they make. Make sure that everybody feels comfortable and everybody's on the same page. Um, the same is true. Again, we kind of mentioned this before with chore management, you know, in a pack house, there's a lot of shit to do. Do you want to make sure that people are, you know, responsible for things that they can be responsible for? Don't make the person who can't cook responsible to cook. Like I understand there's the school of thought that like, if you make somebody do something that they're not familiar with, they get familiar with it very quickly. Immersion therapy doesn't always work with things like that. You're, I mean, it works if you're trying to learn like, I don't know, Spanish, but, like, if you're relying on somebody to cook meals for you, you don't necessarily want them to, like, come from zero experience and be like, okay, well, looks like we're eating burned mac and cheese for the next month. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, make sure that people are responsible for things that they can be responsible for, that they have the time to be responsible for. Maybe don't make the person that works, you know, 60 hours a week responsible for, you know, I don't know, lawn maintenance if there's somebody that, you know, works part-time and they're responsible for cleaning the bathrooms, you know, make sure that things make sense and that everything fits in, like, puzzle pieces. Don't try to force a square peg into a circle hole. Yeah, and make sure people do know what needs to get done and everyone has a handle on who's doing what. Mm -hmm. Maybe you have a chore wheel or a list and, just, you know, you can have pins that you can move around that are different colors that represent different people so that you know whose who's turn it is to do what. You have a system. Uh, maybe it's even a Google document with a spreadsheet with an X's in it or something like that that you can all check. It can be mm -hmm. do it a ton of different ways. 
but make sure you have something like that so you can keep track of things. Mm -hmm. And then also make sure you're avoiding a tragedy of the common situation. Don't just don't leave out a chore so that it doesn't make it on the list and then everyone thinks it's somebody else's job. So it just, it never gets done. This happens with really like obvious things that people tend to forget about though. Like um, things like cleaning out the fridge, things like cleaning the toilet, um, just basic stuff like that. What people, you don't really think about it, but then you just realize, oh, no one's doing X. And maybe one mate just starts doing it whenever it gets to be too horrible and they're not telling anybody that and they start resenting that they're always doing this thing that's not even, they're not even getting credit for on the chore list. So if you find you're, just, oh, you're constantly doing something, that's something you should think about adding to the chore list is basically what I'm saying. Don't let that just become something that you silently resent that you have to always do this thing because no one else does X, right? No one else does it. So I have to do blah, 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 blah. Well, then make sure everybody else knows that no one else is doing it. And then maybe it'll dawn on them. Oh shit. I should take out the trash occasionally, right? That's one of those things is put it on the list and then it'll get done and you'll make sure people know who's taking care of it. I recommend having a system where you can also tell who's done it, uh, you know, often and things like that. So you can kind of keep track of, you know, who's doing it, how often. If you decide to make it more formal and assign it on a certain basis, uh, you know, make sure you're checking back in occasionally to make sure things are rotating appropriately, you know? So that's important. Um, and if you have conflicts over who's doing what, I have this written up as an advice column that you can check out on our website called In My Pack, I Always Get Stuck Doing the Chores Help. Um, you can find that there. We'll link to it from the show notes. But I talk about this in a bit more detail of how you can kind of get out of these situations where you feel like you're, you're the one who's always doing some certain unpleasant task. So uh, check that out. Yeah. So I mean, you know, find a system that works for you. For some people, it's just discussing things. For some people, it's more formal having, you know, some kind of a chart posted up in the, you know, on the fridge in the kitchen, Google doc, things like that, you know, find the system that works for you again. You know, it doesn't need to be, okay, well, I took out the trash this week. You have to take it out next week. You don't have to rotate everything. Do things that make sense for your relationship. Don't do things just for the sake of doing things. If you find that the way that things you're doing things now works, great. Keep doing it. You don't have to, you know, fuck up something that, you know, don't break something that's not broken just to try to find a way to fix it. Um... You know, and really, I, I guess, like, the final thing that, like, people have issues with within, like, pack houses would be, who can join a pack house? Like, hey, I found this guy, and he's really sweet, and, like, you know, we have five bedrooms, but we only really have, like, four people living here, and I was thinking maybe he could move in and, like, maybe join our pack. Um, or maybe you're in kind of a DS relationship where there's an alpha, and the alpha is, like, I found this guy, I think he's really fucking hot. You know, we Dad really your brother. Love him. <laughs> yeah. So pack house membership, you know, that's a big kind of sticking point because it's not just you're not having roommates. You're you're kind of a family. You are a family and you're a unit. And whenever you introduce somebody new to the unit, it's going to take time to adjust. Don't move somebody in and be like, okay, well, here he is, like, love him to death or else I'm done with you. It doesn't work like that. So make sure that you take time if you want to introduce somebody to the house, you know, possibly to move in at some point, that everybody gets to know him or her and everybody is comfortable with them and everybody, you know, feels that they would be somebody that they could live with and somebody that would be able to fit in. Maybe plan some days where they stay over for a weekend and... You know, have some, you know, hey, you're on vacation. Why don't you come over and stay with us for a bit? It will be a nice little 
staycation where, you know, you can come and hang out with us and you can see how we live. And, you know, maybe if it's something that you're interested in and, you know, it's a good fit for everybody, then, hey, maybe you can move in and that would be fun, right? Make sure everybody's comfortable before you move somebody in. You don't want it to be like as an afterthought, like, okay, well, work was great. Um, oh, yeah, I moved in your new lover. So have a good one. Bye. You know, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Um, and if you're the, the alpha, try to make sure you're, you, when you're picking subs, you do think about the fact that, oh, this person's going to have to get along with everybody else that I already date if they're going to be moving in with you. So don't propose to have someone move in if you know there's going to be a huge conflict because you're just asking for trouble that you're going to have to manage for the rest of however long that relationship lasts. You know, um, <laughs> be, keep that in mind. If you want to, if you want to date a sub who's not going to get along with any of your other partners, maybe that sub should be someone who lives independently and you just mm -hmm. go see them occasionally. They, not everybody needs to live with you just because you date them or fuck them. So make sure that it make, they actually make sense for your living situation. Don't just in, in, introduce them and hope it works. Try to keep in mind that, that people need to be somewhat simpatico in order to live together harmoniously. Some differences and conflicts are fine, but you don't want to stack the deck against yourself from the beginning. Um, in addition to that, Try to, you know, don't just impose people on if you're if you're the alpha, you know, don't just say, oh, I'm dating this person now and you have to deal with it. Make sure they're getting to know that, you know, hey, I'm, I'm getting more invested in so-and-so. Hey, this person's starting to mean a lot more to me. Hey, here are the good things this person adds to my life. I'm really, you know, getting invested in them. Hey, now it finally makes sense. Hey, you know this person, you know everything they do for me, you know how great they are. I'm getting to the point where I want them to move in. Then you can start having that conversation. When you do that, try to, if you, if you can't, move them in on a more provisional basis. Don't give them, you know, oh, you, you, you live here now and you're an equal partner. Give them, hey, we're going to do a trial period where you're going to live with us for a week. You're going to live with us for a month. And we'll check back in to see if that's a good fit. Now, if they're moving from across the country, that might not be so practical. But honestly, it kind of is because with the rise of things like Airbnb, if after that month it doesn't work out, they actually do have pretty deep, reasonable and cheap short-term accommodations that they could find for about 20 bucks a night. So, I mean, frankly, it, the idea, oh, you can't move across the country and have it not be a sure thing, that's not really true anymore because we have services like Airbnb where it actually is quite cheap to find just a room to crash in if you need to for a little while while you're looking for a new place. So you're not going to be leaving them high and dry. They have, they'll have an option. So you can do this in a provisional basis. There's no real good reason why you can't do it provisionally. And that then gives the subs a chance to say, hey, actually, this person really doesn't work or, hey, actually, this person really does work great and they fit right in. And you need to be able to figure those things out um, mm -hmm. and be able to do that as a conversation. Don't just impose that on people. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're the alpha, if you're the omega. When it comes to people moving into the house, everybody should have an equal say. That is one of the points that is and should always be equitable. If it's a permanent person, if it is a permanent new member, it's a relationship. And everybody should have the ability to say, I'm not really comfortable with this person being part of the relationship. And you should have that discussion. If that person is still uncomfortable and it comes from a place that isn't, you know, well, I'm just afraid that you're going to be spending less time with me. Well, that's not really that great of a reason. Well, I'm worried, you know, because I looked into him and it turns out he has a criminal history. That is a legitimate concern. Yep. <laughs> so feel free to have those discussions. And, if people, if you are the dom, if you're the alpha and your subs are like, we really don't like this person and they're able to give founded reasons, even if they're unfounded, if it's going to cause that much disharmony in the house, maybe it's in your best interest to, again, say like, I really like you. They really like you. They're just not really comfortable with somebody living with us, but, you know, feel free to visit anytime. 
And again, that level of, oh, I really don't like this person, but I can't come up with a good reason why not. That might be, again, a good case for the whole provisional. Like, okay, well, then in that case, we'll try it on a short-term basis, and we'll just make sure that it really doesn't work. We're going to test that theory. If you really don't get along after meeting this person and, and being with them for a while, then we will mm-hmm. confirm that notion. But that's, that's kind of how I prefer to handle it, because irrational negativity is often just jealousy and fear and you want to make you can burn through those pretty quick by just not uh, once by introducing the person because it's way easier to demonize the other when you have no idea who the fuck they actually are yeah. than it is to demonize somebody who you know sleeps next to you in bed. It's just harder to do. So oftentimes, you know, bringing them in for that short period of time can actually really help the situation if everybody's willing to be an adult about it and really give people a chance. So that's something I would recommend too. So we're gonna move to the final question that. We get asked the most, and this is, you know, how do I find a pack house? Not really the right question, right? You know, it's it's in Harry Potter, you know, the wand chooses the wizard. Um, like, that's not a good question. It's really the question that you're looking for is, how do I find somebody that I can be in a polyamorous relationship with? You're not looking for a dormitory. You're not looking for an apartment. You're not looking for something that you apply for. You were asking, how do I find people that live communally? If you're looking for people that live in group houses, that live in communal housing, that live in, you know, an intentional community, as some people might refer to it, you want to get to know your local poly people. A lot of people, you know, a lot of poly groups have munches. They have organizations that you can look through and you can ask those questions and you can see if there are people that you click with in person. But going to a, a poly event and treating it as if it's like a speed dating event is not also the greatest idea. Your intention should not be, I want to find somebody that I can live with forever in a group setting, the thing should be, I want to find somebody that I click with. So don't look at pack houses as again, like dormitories. If you're looking for somebody to live with, you know, because you need housing, that's one thing. If you're looking for somebody to live with because you want to live with them because you have a romantic connection and you find yourselves in a group setting, that's a completely different story. So it's not the greatest question to ask because it doesn't really have the answer you're looking for. Yeah, I'm going to give you a different, slightly different take on it, but basically saying the same thing because I totally agree with Metrico. Mm-hmm. So again, it's about relationship building. And the way you build relationships can actually vary. I think by illustrating it from a DS perspective, it'll make a bit more sense. Let's say that you're an alpha. Um, let's say that you are, you think you, you'd like to be one. So maybe you're in my position. The way that I build a pack house is not by going out and collecting like my favorite Pokemon to build my dream team right away. It's, it's the same way you build a Pokemon team, right? You start out with your level five starter, you get your starter boyfriend, and then you go out and you capture more Pokemon. You hope that they can all, they can all get along in their Pokeballs, right? Except it's a bit more complicated when they're not Pokemon, um, <laughs> when they're actually people. It's a similar idea. It's a team building thing. You don't just go out and grab the best Pokemon immediately. It takes a while to kind of train and grow with them. And then you build, you use them to meet new people and you build your team over time. It's actually kind of like building a Pokemon team. If you're an alpha, you're basically a Pokemon trainer in some ways, right? Um, and I make that joke occasionally with people that, you know, I, oh, I captured another one, you know, but, um, <laughs> it's a fun conversation. And it's kind of tongue in cheek, but there's some truth to it. And that's the reason why saying, you know, how do I find a pack? If you're an alpha, you don't find a pack. You find 
one person you connect with who submits to you. And then you find another person you connect with who submits to you and gets along with the other person who submits to you. And then you find a third person who not only gets along with you and submits to you, but gets along with the other two people who submit to you. And maybe they submit to one of those two people. And again, those relationships build and they grow and they grow. And eventually you figure out, oh, I'm at my emotional bandwidth point where at this point I don't want, I'm closing it off. Now we're a group of four, we're a group of five, whatever it might be, maybe a group of six. Um, you close it off. That's it. That's our group. And we're going to work with that for a while. That's how it usually tends to work. That's how these relationships get built up. Maybe also for, you might have three people who are local or four people who are local. Maybe you've got some long distance mates. My pack is kind of a diaspora right now. I have my uh, pet who, who lives with me. I have my husband who lives with me. I have another really close local mate who lives about five minutes away. And I see often. Then I have another mate who is long distance and lives in Michigan. I have another mate who is long distance and lives in North Carolina. And those, those mates have indicated a desire to move in with me, but they, due to school, are not going to be able to do that for a couple of years. So that's kind of a, a you know, long distance connection that's going to eventually probably be part of a pack house with setting with me. And all of my, all of those mates get along. We have a group uh, chat where they all, we all talk and I post updates and everyone talks in there. And that's really great. And so everybody's kind of getting along. I make sure there's compatibility. If there's really, you know, bad compatibility with one person, we kind of address that and we decide whether or not they should stay part of the pack. That is how these conversations go. But again, it's built over time. It's a gradual thing. It's an organic process. I didn't go out and find those people at once in like, oh, we went to like MFF and now I came back with five new mates and I've got a pack now. <laughs> That's not really reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> now, if you're a sub... It's a little bit more like shopping in certain ways because you just have to worry about the alphas usually. So you have to find an alpha you like and then you, you catch their eye and then they're going to wor worry about the details of introducing you to the rest of the pack usually. So like basically, if you'd like to be part of my pack, uh, you, can, uh, you can go ahead and uh, get in touch with me. And if you can catch my eye, then you have to get to run the gauntlet of getting along with all of my other subs and having them not shoot you in the face. So enjoy that challenge. Do not pretend to get along with people for the sake <laughs> of getting a dom. The oh, God, no. is true do for not doms. Do, that. Mm -mm, do not. Don't do that. Again, a pack house is like a puzzle. You want to make sure that you fit. You can't be a corner piece and try to go to the center of the puzzle. Some things just aren't meant to be. And that's just life. So... You know, it's 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 just how it is. So don't pretend to get along. Don't pretend to like people that you don't. Because if you're gonna move in with people, you should probably actually like them. You know, pack houses are great. Pack houses are awesome. Pack houses are fun. Communal living is great. It comes with its own new set of struggles. Polyamory is difficult. Polyamory housing ups the ante a little bit because you have more shared burdens. You have more areas for potential conflict. So if you want to live together, you have to be able to get along together. And the more people, the more personalities, the more conflict. You know, it's, it's, if you think about like surface tension, <laughs> the more areas that your little bubble hits, the more likelihood that there is that it will pop. You know, think of it like a water droplet. You are a little water droplet in the river that is your pack house. You don't want to get lost in the flow. You want to maintain your individuality. Do you want to make sure that your boundaries are respected? 
And you want to make sure that you're not going to contaminate the rest of the river simply because of the fact that you don't actually like where you are. Don't pretend. Be open. Be honest. Have conversations. Communicate. And have fun. You know, pack houses are great. Pack houses, they allow for you to explore your freedom, you know, your creativity, your individuality, your relationship. You will have the highest of highs and sometimes even the lowest of lows. But you have a group that is there to support you and love you. Be welcoming of that. Be open to that. Don't rush into it. Make sure that you're comfortable with the people. Make sure that you're comfortable with yourself. And you'll build a house full of nurturing, love, respect, and honesty. We're going to move on from our main topic, because I think that's a good place to kind of close it. Remember, the wand chooses the wizard, Harry. God damn it. Like, don't, don't force it. But we're going to talk about MFF, because we had a panel, and by we, I mean Vero. And I want to hear more about that, because Vera and I, surprisingly, have not had a chance to talk about this. So tell me about the panel, Vero. <laughs> yeah, it's been a fly-by-night sort of affair ever since, hasn't it? Yeah. So, um, yeah, the panel actually went pretty well. It was, it was great. I had uh, actually quite a few of my mates there all in one place for once, so that Ooh. was kind of fun. So I, I actually ran the panel, but I had Koji and Leo and uh, Rhythm all there. Mm-hmm. So they, we were able, they actually kind of fielded some questions, and they, some people asked us how our actual relationship worked, which was kind of cool, because we actually had everyone there to kind of give the example of, like, here's our living, breathing, functioning pack. Um, <laughs> right. So that's kind of neat. But yeah, uh, we, we, went, we actually had a slide projector for once. Ooh. We actually were able to run through our slides, which was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually had a two-hour time block, which was good. That's always, that's always nice. And 8 to 10 p.m. on Saturday, so it was actually pretty well attended. We had at least... 40 or 45 people. It was not quite standing room only, but it was pretty darn close. So uh, that pretty good attendance, especially considering it was, you know, MFF was crazy this year and people were everywhere and there's so much going on. And we were up against some other really good panels too, like some populated panels. So I think there's some overlapping interest between those two, which was just unfortunate, but scheduling is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the panel went great. We had some great questions afterwards. A lot of people wanted to follow up and talk about it afterwards. And I met up with a few people, a few fans of the show to talk afterwards as well. So all of that went uh, really, really well. Very happy with how the MFF panel went. Hope to do that more in the future. Yeah, so, I mean, thank you, everybody who attended. Uh, unfortunately, just MFF was not in the cards for me this year. Um, too much going on with work and my personal life, but hopefully I'll be able to make it next year. And we're starting to plan next year out for panels that you know we would like to have for conventions we would like to attend. So this is a good time of the year. If there are conventions that you will be attending that you think would be, you know, you would be interested in having us do a panel at, please let us know as quickly as possible because we have to request that panel. There's a lot of negotiations. Some conventions are not necessarily as open to having topics that they consider to be adult. And so we have to kind of, you know, have that conversation with them and see if we're able to panel. So allow for, you know, that time for us and just let us know what panels, you know, what panels are you attending? What conventions are you going to? And that way we can kind of plan it out within our own schedules. We are unfortunately busy, but we try to make conventions a priority in our lives. We do have some questions um, that we wanted to go to. Um, it's uh, the first question is about um, anxiety issues, um, about starting in BDSM. Um, and the questioner asks, um, 
I've been extremely interested in BDSM ever since my sex drive kicked in. I actually figured that out three years before I figured out I'm gay. I've been looking to break into that for about five years, and I'm about as sure I'm a sub as a virgin can be, but I'm having some crippling anxiety issues with it. Whew. I keep catching myself making up bullshit excuses about why I can't move forward because of that, but I'm realizing I'm doing it hasn't stopped me from feeling frozen. Um, I'm realizing that, you know, not doing this, not going into BDSM has made me feel frozen, and I'm getting increasingly frustrated at my own stupid psychological issues for depriving me of something I'm pretty damn sure I want. I have listened to your episode on social anxiety, but I'm not sure the advice there is 100% relevant to me since it's definitely not the socializing aspects I'm having trouble with. Honestly, I think I'm most afraid of giving it a shot and might and just not liking it. Probably sounds stupid, but I'm sure you can imagine I wouldn't exactly be thrilled to know I've gone the last decade being wrong about a fairly... Okay, sorry for a second. Okay. There's actually a moving truck outside that's blocked the entire road. I am so sorry, everybody. <laughs> Holy cow, we were doing so good, Vero. Uh, oh, well. So This back- question just got kind of in a, in a three-car collision, I feel. Yeah, sorry about that. Um <laughs> You know, the questioner continues, you know, I'm afraid, you know, that I'm not going to enjoy it, but, you know, and I wouldn't be exactly thrilled to know I've gone the last decade being wrong about a fairly large part about who I think I am. And I've never really been, you know, particularly interested in vanilla dating, so I'm not entirely sure I'd be able to satisfyingly fall back on that. Is there something you think might help? Um, I guess, like, summarizing the question, they've been interested in BDSM for, you know, nearly a decade, and they're afraid that they may not like it. They're not really interested in vanilla dating. What can they do in order to, you know, get over this anxiety? Yeah, so I think this is basically a case for decatastrophizing a substantial amount. So the central central fear is not so much that you're, like, you're going to, like, you know, hate yourself forever. But the fear here is that you just might not like doing the thing you've been fantasizing about. You are correct. There's a chance you will not like it. But there's nothing wrong with finding out that you don't like something, because that means that then you can stop wasting your time fantasizing about it and find something else that gets you hard and then makes you want to, you know, be sexual. Um, There's nothing wrong with that. It's not like you're going to discover, oh, that thing I was fantasizing about no longer turns me on. And now I'm just asexual and broken. Like that's not really the way it turns out. Um, you know, not to say that being asexual is broken, but just to say that you're, you know, if you feel like you're going to lose your sexuality, that's not how this works. Um, that's just not how it works. You're not going to be thinking that. You're going to find something else that, that gets you hard, some other way of exploring that interest. If it's not the, the particular activity or the particular scene you thought you were interested in, you'll find another scene or activity that does interest you. Uh, if you're concerned about you know, actually like, you know, hating it or being raped or something like that, uh, something against your will, then maybe you want to explore this in a group setting at a play party where other people are present. You can have a chaperone who's watching over you to make sure nothing bad is happening, who's paying attention for your safe word. Uh, that, that can be very helpful. Uh, when Koji wants to explore a new kink, that's actually how we usually do it. As I'm the chaperone, I make sure everything is, I'm the tour guide. If something's going wrong, I can tell Koji's not enjoying himself. I end the scene, get that just as that's done. So that is a good way of handling it. Um, so yeah, there you can, you can find ways around this. You don't have to just give in to the anxiety. In fact, I'd really recommend that you don't do that because the way you get over anxiety is through 
kind of thinking about what the emotions you're, you're expecting yourself to have and talking yourself down from why that might not be so bad. That's decatastrophizing. And the other way you can deal with anxiety is through exposure therapy, which is by exposing yourself to the thing that you're worried about. And the way you're going to do that is by actually doing one of these scenes, maybe not a super elaborate thing to start out with, but something that just is clearly something that is interesting to you that turns you on. Maybe you set some very clear boundaries and limits on this activity for the first time. Maybe it's, you know, what's going to happen is you're going to tie me up. I'm going to stay fully dressed and you're going to massage me through my clothing a little bit until I tell until I ask you to stop. And then that's going to be the scene. You're going to untie me and we're going to be done. And then maybe the next time we can do something, you know, you can get in my underwear and we can do the same thing. Or maybe the next time is not, you can have sex with me non-penetratively, but we're not going to go all the way, right? You can work your way up to your comfort level and make sure that, yes, this is what I want and keep making sure you're giving go signals. You don't have to jump to the main event and like, you know, doing something from the Fifty Shades of Grey on your very first evening out. You don't have to go down to the sex dungeon. You can just like wear handcuffs for a while and see if you like it like while your partner straddles you or something like this is not you don't have to go to like varsity level stuff immediately you can have a normal progression it doesn't mean that like and frankly most doms are actually going to really enjoy doing that journey with you the erotic tension of working a sub up through doing different activities is super freaking hot even if it's over a protracted period of time and so if you're worried oh the dom's gonna think i'm incompetent it's not gonna enjoy this i don't know a lot of doms who don't like training up a new sub like that's really fun it's something I really enjoy doing, so um, you're probably going to be okay. <laughs> uh, do you have any other input on that, Metrico? No, I think that's actually a really good summary of it. It's, you know, you want to make sure that you allow yourself some level of agency and control. And, you know, remember that sex is meant to be fun. If you don't enjoy this, you might find that through this you find something else you do enjoy. You know, allow yourself to explore and to experience. I would recommend, you know syncing up with the local BDSM community, getting advice from people in the local community, and just having a good time with it. And if you find that it's not your thing, remember your sexuality and your sexual preferences and your sexual kinks do not define who you are as an individual, and you are not useless nor have you wasted time fantasizing about things. Some mental kinks don't translate very well to the physical world. And it could just be something that you enjoy role-playing, not actually doing. So the next question. All right. So everybody buckle in. This one is a fairly detailed question. So, hello, I'm writing to you guys because I'm very confused about what to do. I am a 27-year-old gay Hungarian guy, and I've fallen in love with a furry who is also an artist. The artist part doesn't matter at this point because I thought it was the best way to describe both of us. Any time in my life I've had crushes, they were either full-on heterosexual, so I've never confessed to them, or when I was a kid, I really liked girls, but after three rejections, I gave up on them. I've never had a relationship, but those that I had a crush on were usually friends first, and I gave them whatever they wanted. By that, I mean I invited them for a few drinks at school, paid for the movies whenever we spent time together because I had the money for it, and now I've met this artist about two years ago, and in the last three or four months I began to feel way more for him, and I realized he might be more than a friend to me. He's very shy when it comes to social interaction, his parents are over, were overly religious, so he can never reveal that he's gay or does free art or, you know, that sort of thing. He never had anyone as a boyfriend or really a relationship, and he always thought of himself as a useless thing for humanity and wanted to die. Uh, he suffers from, you know, depression, and he takes medication now to help with that. So I talked to him a lot because we're super close friends, and I decided that I would tell him my feelings. Um, I did that, and that changed everything. We didn't talk for nearly five days. Uh, I saw that he would see what I wrote to him, but he would never reply. Um, 
I finally managed to, you know, get a reply from him, and he said that he didn't really know how to handle everything, and whenever he, you know, has that happen to him, he goes really silent. He doesn't really reply. The problem is, I don't really understand. He keeps saying to me so many times that he really wants someone to love him. Looks don't matter to him. Age doesn't matter to him. So I was really confused that after being so close and knowing just about everything about each other, why he didn't reply back or just avoided talking about the subject. He has no one else, as far as I know, that would love him this much. Um, I also, you know, I offered at some point, you know, I'm in Hungary and he lives in Washington in the United States, that I might be able to visit him next year for a week and we could maybe cuddle, sleep together in his bed, that sort of thing. But he didn't say anything at all to that. And him going quiet drove me crazy and I don't know if I should, you know, write him about that or if I should not, or if I should stay silent about that too. I really don't want to lose him, but what if I keep pushing this, you know, will he hate me? You know, he is 23 years old, I'm 27, he lives with his older brother and female friend, so he's not, you know, living at his parents anymore. Um, he's fairly subby and would, you know, wouldn't mind, you know, being in some kind of a gangbang, you know, that sort of thing, just giving you an idea of what he's like. And I say this because this is also something that I don't understand. I'm okay if he would want to be with more guys, just as long as I am there to check up on him. He has one male friend who he has sex with from time to time, but neither of them love each other. They just do it, you know, as a friends with benefits kind of situation. No feelings, no romance, no connections included. And I'm, and I'm okay with this because he tells me that he had sex and what happened. So I feel like I might be some kind of a control freak, and I always find it easier if I know what he does because of the distance between us. And sometimes even if he tells me, it hurts a little bit inside. Um, lastly, there is another artist who I talked to, and that person said if he visits um, my friend, that he would fuck him. I told him not to because, you know, I have feelings for him. I love him. But he replied with, get him into a closed relationship then. I asked my friend to not have sex with him, but again, I didn't receive a positive reply. He said, don't worry, he needs a lot of money to travel here, so it most likely won't happen. If I love someone, I'm willing to do anything for them. You know, I, I'm i not delusional. I know we could never be together, probably, because he is in the United States and I'm in, you know, Europe. But it would feel so good if he would show some sign back, that you know, something that he cares about me and would like to be with me for a while. And uh, last but not least, if I asked if I could sleep with him where he lives, he says the rules don't really allow for people to stay for that long which is kind of dumb, because how would anyone know how long I've been there for? The owner doesn't check on them every day. I could hide in his room if worse comes to worse. There's really no way to tell if someone is sleeping there for a week or not. I feel like that was a huge lie. So any ideas of what I can do or, you know, anything like that? Um, I will let you tackle this one first, Metrico, because right. that is quite the, uh, I, oh man. <laughs> so there's a lot going on here. So I guess super duper summarizing this one. Um, you know, the questioner, he's from Hungary, and he is interested in an individual who lives in Washington, the United States. Um, so there's the idea of a long-distance relationship. A lot of people feel overwhelmed when they find that somebody that, you know, they're really close to has romantic intentions or feelings for them, and they don't know how to process it. It sounds like this kid, you know, the, this, this artist friend of yours, he grew up in a fairly sheltered house, and 
Maybe he never really learned how to express these sorts of things or how to process these sorts of things. And patience does play a part whenever it comes to courtship. If somebody isn't really sure how to process their feelings, you need to be able to be there for them as they figure that out. Could be maybe he's just terminably shy and he's afraid to express these things. It could be, you know, there's this idea when sheep want to, you know, when female sheep are showing interest in, you know, mating, they just stand really still. There's actually a symptom where people who show interest in each other don't do anything because they're afraid that it's going to fuck up the relationship or they're waiting for the other person to make the move. It could be maybe he just doesn't feel that way for you. That's a possibility. You know, you can't really force somebody to have a conversation, you know, especially if you're just friends. You can't force somebody to talk about something. It sounds like your talking to him might have been a little bit overwhelming. You need to take time to have this conversation with them, and you need to make sure that you're not coming from a place of, like, you must love me because I love you. You need to come from a place where you want honesty and openness from him. It sounds like you guys have been pretty open and honest in the past, but... You can't allow for the fact that you have feelings for somebody to dictate the terms of that you know, relationship. Just because you love somebody doesn't mean that they have to love you in return. What I would recommend is just say, you know, I really want to talk about this because I feel like we could have something really great. You know, even though it's long distance, I feel like we could care for each other and we could be there for one another. So, you know, approach it from that. Don't approach it from a place of we have to discuss this because I love you and you must love me. You know, it's not Romeo and Juliet. And, you know, in terms of long distance, you know, long distance is fairly conquerable. You know, a friend of mine just got, you know, engaged to a friend who moved from Europe to the United States, and they got engaged at MFF. You know, distance isn't really that large of a factor in relationships anymore with the advent of the internet, with the fact that global travel is probably cheaper now than it's ever been. And, I mean... Now is a good time. It could be, you know, he moves to you in Europe. It could be you move here to the United States. It could be you guys say fuck it and move to Australia. You never know. I wouldn't count distance out as much anymore. But I would say that, you know, it would be a good idea to have a discussion about this. And it sounds like you're just kind of using text in order to have this conversation. Do you guys Skype? Do you guys use FaceTime? Anything where there's vocal communication? Maybe having a verbal conversation about these sorts of things would be easier. I understand there might be a language barrier. Could be maybe you you type really, you, you write English very well, but speaking is not really that great. It could be, you know, maybe you just have a video up so you guys can look at each other while you type to each other. That sometimes helps. Video chatting works really great if there's a verbal, you know, a communication issue verbally. You know, be patient. I wouldn't nag too much. I wouldn't keep bringing it up like, Hi, how are you? How did you sleep? Oh, by the way, I love you. Why don't you return my feelings? That's going to push him away. When it comes to the last part that you mentioned, this, um... A lot of the time, there will be living circumstances where there are rules imposed upon the tenants. It could be that he's in a shared residency where he doesn't necessarily rent the apartment, but he rents a room. Could be maybe he's subletting. Some, and speaking as somebody that lives in New York, there are some landlords who do impose, if you do have a guest, you need, they can only stay for X amount of time, and if they stay longer, then you have to pay additional money. The last place that I lived, the landlord did have a rule where if I had a visitor for more than two weeks, then I would have to pay additional money because 
Like at that point, it's like, are they visiting? Are they living here? What's going on with that? Like they're not on the lease. You know, it could be, you know, and, and I did have visitors that would stay for, you know, a significant amount of time. The landlord never found out, but if he did, I'd be out 50 bucks. I could, you know, be viewed as being in violation of my tenant agreement, of my, you know, contract with my landlord. So there are different landlords that have different requirements. And I wouldn't necessarily go to like, oh, this guy is lying to me because he doesn't want me to visit with him. It could be maybe that's an actual issue. Vero mentioned, you know, that B&B Airbnb is a great option. It's fairly inexpensive, about 20, 30 bucks a month, uh, a month, 30 bucks a day, a night. And that might be a good option. You know, you have your own place that you could stay and he can come and visit you and he can get away from, you know, staying with his friend and his brother. And you guys can, you know, share that experience together. It'd be like a vacation for him, a major vacation for you. You know, there's a lot going on with this. And it sounds like it might be that you're possibly overcomplicating parts of it. If you like somebody, if you're in love with somebody, of course you're going to want to know what's going on with them. If they're having sex with other people that's not you, of course you're going to want to know what's going on with that. That doesn't make you a control freak. It just makes you invested. It makes you emotionally entangled. And by asking these questions, by saying, Oh, hey, you had sex with this other guy. What happened? You're not saying, you know, a control freak would be like, you can't have sex with them. A control freak would, you know, say, well, that's not the case. This other guy, this other artist that is wanting to visit and fuck your, you know, your friend. I mean, again, he's coming from a place that I can understand. You're not in a relationship. Your, your friend that lives in Washington isn't, you know, in a committed relationship with you. So it does make sense for him to be like, well, you're not dating, so why would I respect this? But at the same time, you know, there is a certain level of understanding that should come with this person, you know, is kind of carrying a torch and they're discussing relationships. Maybe I should hold off on having sex with this person. Maybe I should, you know, respect their wishes. It's kind of a moral gray area, unfortunately, because if this other artist has sex with your friend, Theoretically, they're not doing anything wrong in terms of like relationship ethics, but they are doing something wrong in terms of, you know, not being a dick. I mean, if I had a friend and I wanted to date them and somebody was saying, well, I'm going to have sex with them, I'd be like, maybe you couldn't. How about no? You know, again, if they do have sex, you know, the, the worst thing is that maybe I'm out of friend. You know, I can't hold it against anybody. I can't say, well, you guys cheated on me. The only thing that you can say is, well, I trusted you to, you know, respect my wishes and you didn't. That's it. So, I mean, the only thing that I could really advise you to do is keep the conversation going. And you've admitted your truth. You've admitted your feelings. You need to be willing to accept that they may not be reciprocated. You might need to be willing to accept that they are reciprocated, but it's going to take time for your friend to come to that realization. He's never been in a relationship, you said. He's just had, you know, casual sex. Maybe he doesn't feel that he's ready for a relationship. There are mitigating factors with your friend that they could be playing a part. Be patient. You've done your part. Be there for your friend. And if the relationship doesn't work out, continue to be there for your friend. If he doesn't want to date you, he's still a friend. And it's clear that you care deeply about him. So support him, even if you can't put your dick in him. Any thoughts, Vero? I think that's pretty much 
accurate. I mean, relationships are more important. I mean, people are more important than relationships and people are more important than sex. Yeah. So just keep, keep your eye on the prize and that the person is what's important and your connection with people is what's important. Mm-hmm. And who's putting whose dick and what is not actually all that important in the grand scheme of things. What's important is connections to other consciousnesses that you value and try to keep your focus on that. And don't worry about whose dick is going where and how often and how soon and how quickly and whatever the hell else. Because when you, you can make yourself crazy thinking and worrying and being jealous and envious about those things. But at the end of the day, you just want everybody to have their needs met in some form or fashion. So don't worry so much about whose dick is going where, unless there's actually have, you know, health reasons why you're worried about that. That's the only really legitimate thing mm-hmm. in the situation that I think is actually worth obsessing over if you're really being honest with yourself. So just try to realize that people in this are what's more important to you and try to maintain those connections and don't worry about, you know, I'm going to be so hurt if they're, you know, someone's dick touches you. I mean, that's just, you can be, but you also have some control over your reaction to that too. So try to just try to decide what's important to you, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, thank you for your question. Like it w- it's a fairly involved question and keep us informed, keep us updated on what happens. And, you know, if you have follow-up questions, if something, if there's a new, you know, shift in what happens, let us know. And, you know, we're here for you. And if anybody else has questions or feedback, if you want to offer your own advice for any of the questions that we've answered or feedback on the show that we've had or feedback on MFF, hit us up. Visit our contact page on our website, feralattraction.com slash contact. There's so many ways you can get into touch with us. A contact form right there on the page. It's anonymous. You can submit if you want to give us an email so we can write back to you. If we have questions, you can do that. Name, whatever, all that good stuff. Twitter, Telegram, AskFM, every way that you can get into contact with us imaginable. If there's a way, you can have it. You can call us on our cell phone. Call me on my cell phone at 94940-SHIT. Leave us a message. We'll play it for you on the show. Next week, we're going to talk about a topic that we've actually addressed in our advice column, but it does deserve its own show. We're going to talk about balancing mismatched sex drives. A lot of people, you know, they're really compatible personality-wise, interest-wise, but one person just doesn't need as much sex as the other person. How can you find a way to balance the two separate sex drives without destroying the relationship? It's going to be a fun topic. It's something that I've had to deal with in my own life. And we've actually had questions about that before that we've addressed on the advice column, but we wanted to give a show to it as well. Yeah. So that's next week's topic. If you have questions about it ahead of time, get them in quick. We're going to be recording shortly. If you like our show and you want to leave us a review on iTunes, that would be really great if you could. That helps our show's visibility out a lot. Rate honestly. I mean, honestly, you should rate us five stars, but rate your feeling. Go with your heart. Vote your conscience. Oh, wait, we said that and bad things happened. Thank you, Ted Cruz. (laughs) If you want to, you know, help us in a different way, if you're able to give us your money, your your hard-earned money, you can do that at our Patreon by becoming one of our patrons. And there are different tiers. You can get a thank you. You can get a shout-out. You can make us hang out with you at a mutually attended convention. That is a choice. That is an option. That is a decision. And you can compel us. The power of your dollars compels us to be your friend. Not really. Indeed. Well, I mean, we're already <laughs> friends. It just means that I have to, you know, say, well, I would like to go, you know, play this video game in the game room, but instead I'm going to hang out with this awesome person who thinks that I'm doing a good job because that's much more fun for me. So it's less compelling and more like, hey, 
Hey, friends, we should do this. Okay. Our Patreon is a great way to, you know, kind of keep in touch with us as well. We post every contact updates there just as regularly on our Twitter and Facebook. We also, one of our tiers does allow for us to give you a shout out. And our friend Snares has, you know, been on the show, you know, in terms of shout outs for his Patreon for Meteor Showers at patreon.com slash snares. And for his Fur Affinity, furaffinity.net, user Furious for amazing commissions. An amazing artist. If you like Barrowman, Muscleman, Hypergrowth, all that good stuff, check him out. Snares is amazing. Like, super awesome work. It's his comic is hysterical. I've actually started reading it, and it's it's really great. It's very well written, very well drawn, and you should give it a try. If you're one for more of the literary works, if you like the written prose, Zarpolis has been writing Per Imperium, and you can follow up with that on patreon.com slash Zarpolis, and it's a sci-fi space story about genetically engineered furries that, you know, rebelled against their creators and set off to create their own future among the stars. And it's really great. And it has a lot of tinges of Starcraft and a little bit of Lovecraft and a whole bunch of other crafts that you might not be aware of. You should definitely check it out if you're interested in that sort of thing. All of this information is in our show notes with links. Check it out and, you know, support your fellow furry artists. It's hard out there. You know, be fishy to the fish. So... I think we're going to end it there for this week. Uh, thank you again for holding, you know, for your patience on this week with MFF. Our microphone's got a nasty case of the Concrod, <laughs> and, you know, they just were not feeling up to it. So thank you for your I patience. I had so many highs and lows with MFF. I just needed a few extra days of recovery time. <laughs> so, you know, thank you for your patience. And for everybody that attended MFF and were able to, you know, say hello to Vero and the rest of the Feral Attraction I guess, harem. Extended community. <laughs> you know, <laughs> thanks so much for that. And, you know, maybe in the future we'll, you know, have like a feral attraction get together. That'd be a lot of fun. But Would be. we'll figure that out. So again, show notes for all of these links for a link to the raffle, all the good stuff. I'll post more information on that on our Twitter. You have a good week. We'll be here next week with balancing mismatched sex drives. I'm Metrico. And I'm Vera the Science Collie. Be well. Thank you.